What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast. This is episode 80, and I am your host for today, Simon Voyanos, aka Coach V. And I just wanted to record this quick intro here and explain what the plan is for this week. And so, on this episode, um, as you could probably tell by the title, it'll be our 3A playoff preview as well as the AYL Championship Recap, where we're going to talk about every game and give players of the week for that. And so that's just this episode on Wednesday. Stay tuned for our uh, playoff recap from last week for 1A, 2A, 4A, and 5A. We'll talk about those games, and then uh, one of us will also talk about the predictions we all have for the 1A, 2A, 4A, and 5A level. Our guy, Anthony Garcia, will have predictions as well. We'll announce those on that episode on Wednesday. And then lastly, on Friday, we're going to go ahead and bring back our top five seniors list. Again, this time we're going to start with linebackers. So we're going to talk about the top five senior linebackers in the state of Colorado. That series will begin on Friday, starting with inside linebackers. So stay tuned for that. This week, we have a lot of content coming out. That's why we're splitting it three ways. Next week, it's going to be a lot easier. Uh, You know, we're going to have all of our recaps and whatnot uh, in one episode. And so that'll be 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, and 5A. That'll come out uh, next week, probably on uh, Tuesday or Monday. And then on Fridays, we'll have our top five seniors uh, episode. And so be on the lookout for all of that stuff. Also, we are still doing Players of the Week, and so just keep that in mind. Uh, We will announce Players of the Week on the Wednesday episode. Next week, it will be on the normal Tuesday-Monday episode. So there you go. Just wanted to give you a heads up, but without further ado, we're going to go ahead and hop into the AYL Championship Recaps. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and here I'm going to go ahead and talk about the four AYL championship games we went to. AYL stands for Arapahoe Youth League, in case y'all do not know. And we went to four Super Bowls this last Saturday, myself and Mason Austin. And so before I hop in, just quick shout out to all the parents, coaches, players that introduced themselves to us and that we got to meet it was an absolute pleasure and honestly it was an absolute pleasure being able to follow these playoffs and uh, some of the teams that made it to this championship game some of those teams we followed since uh, the regular season and so this was a big day for us and uh, you know it was a big day for a lot of the players out there as well and we had some good football this last Saturday quick reminder a lot of these kids are eighth graders i'm pretty sure all of them are eighth graders and so this is the future of colorado football here they will be freshmen next year and we'll probably do another middle school episode a little bit later in the off season kind of talking about um the freshmen to look out for that are on the come up and where they will be going to high school but without further ado uh, let me go ahead and start with the first game of the day. This one took place at 9 a.m. over at Arapahoe High School, but we had Bruins White versus Spartans Chrome. Let me go ahead and hop into the action here. So in the first quarter, number seven on the Bruins, Yanni, I want to say Balafas. 
apologize if I'm saying that wrong, but he goes ahead and opens up the game with a score on the opening drive for this Bruins team. It is a quarterback sneak, and you know, this was set up by a couple throws that he actually made, but uh, he goes ahead and gets his touchdown right there, and then gets the two-point conversion, making it 8-0 to early on with the Bruins leading now moving on into this next drive here uh the bruins are on defense and number 68 for the bruins gage warner i believe he was actually coming back from injury if i'm not mistaken gets a huge hit on third down um while on defense stopping the spartans chrome team but the spartans team decides to go for it early on being aggressive but this Bruins white defense, they stand strong and uh, stop them on fourth down, led by number 20. And so I would say this is a third and out, but this is really a four and out that the Bruins forced on the Spartans. Following that, you know, you have a drive by the Bruins, nothing happens, they punt it. And then you have the Spartans, um, they have their little drive and then nothing happens. And so they punt it. But when the Spartans punted it, they punted it to number four Jake Kim for the Bruins white and he goes ahead and houses this one 50 yards to the house uh, <laughs> and he made it look so easy but there's great blocking on this punt return here uh, but Jakey goes ahead and gets that job done returns it 50 yards to the house like I said and they also get the two-point conversion making it 16 to 0 already a two-score game here in the first quarter now the spartans they decide to wake up a little bit here and respond and so they get something going and so number 11 on the spartans catches a really nice throw on a slant route and he goes ahead and gets 20 yards on that gain and so the spartans team they're moving they're getting into the end zone but then all of a sudden number 68 gage warner comes up with a huge interception and shuts down that drive before anything else can happen now as this bruins team is driving we come back to number seven yanni he throws a touchdown and gets the two-point conversion as well on that following drive following that gage warner interception making it 24 to 0 very early on in this matchup um and this game is getting out of hand and you know the second quarter hasn't even started yet but you know, there's still a couple more fireworks to be had here. Um, but going into the second quarter, you know, uh, this Spartans team, they're trying to drive. They're trying to get something going. They're throwing the ball, running the ball, doing their thing. They only got one, I think, one or two first downs at this point. But once again, number 58, or sorry, number 68, Gage Warner, comes up with his second interception of the day. And then the Bruins would go ahead and score off of that one, making it 30-0. to zero. At this point, it's like late in the second quarter. I went ahead and stopped taking as many notes here because it's obvious that this Bruins team is very much more, you know, stacked than the Spartans team at this point. And they're up by 30-0. to zero. Uh, And then they score one more touchdown. I didn't see who it was. The Bruins did, that is. But they score one more, making it 36-0 to zero going into half time. And so, really, this one's basically over. You know, they're basically running the clock, or they're about to run the clock, you know. Um, but they go into the second half. I think the Bruins get one more interception. Number eight on the Bruins got a big interception there goes ahead and you know returns it for some yards and then this Bruins white offense would score 
making it 44 to 0. Um, that would actually be the final score of this game. Uh, Bruins White 44, Spartans Chrome 0. As the Bruins go ahead, or as this Bruins White team goes ahead and wins a very big championship game here. 44 to 0. This is actually the largest uh, win margin here that we had this last weekend. Now, this was definitely a big team effort by this Bruins White team, but if I had to give player of the game to somebody, it would probably have to be to Gage Warner, number 68. He had those two interceptions, I believe. And I believe he also had a sack in there. I just didn't write it down. I definitely made a mental note, but I'm pretty sure he had a sack and he was causing pressure, you know. I, I want to say he's like a linebacker, and so there you go. He is your player of the game for this first championship game uh, last Saturday, but let's go ahead and hop into the next game here and that is Spartans Black Versus the South Jeffco Outlaws aka SJ Gray now, I'm gonna go ahead and admit some bias here. You know, I've been following the Spartans Black team uh, Basically throughout the whole season, you know, I want to say I only missed like two games um, Yeah, I want to say I only missed two games one one weekend. I just couldn't make it and the other one I think I was sick. So other than that, I've been to all of the regular season games, I'm pretty sure. And then I've been to both of their playoff games here. So I'm very attached to this squad. You know, if y'all have been following us, remember this is DJ Bordeaux's squad, along with Tanner, Juice, Starling, Dufour, the entire squad. I've talked about all of them this entire season. So to me, you know, it's, it's their squad, not just DJ's squad, obviously. But... Let's go ahead and hop into this one. This was a really good championship game. This kicked off, you know, the first uh, of many good championship games. Not that the first game wasn't good, but that was a blowout. But this one was definitely a close one. A lot closer than I thought it would be. So, going into the first quarter, you know, to get this thing going. Number 10 on the South Jeffco Outlaws scores the first touchdown with a 15-plus yard touchdown run, I'm pretty sure. Plus a two-point conversion, making it 8-0 to zero outlaws to go ahead and open this one up. Now, after that, you know, this Spartans team would uh, respond in a huge way with DJ Bordeaux finding his boy, Tanner Hammond-Tesdall, for a 50-plus yard touchdown reception. They would also get the two-point conversion, tying it up real quick, 8-8 eight to eight in this first quarter. Now... That's all that happened in the first quarter, basically, and we're hopping into the second quarter already where there's even more fireworks here. To respond back, this Outlaws team would get a long touchdown of their own. Number two, the quarterback throwing to number 27 on a 40-yard touchdown reception to go ahead and respond back right then. They'd also go ahead and get the two-point conversion as well, making it 8-16 to early on now you know the spartans you know that they're better than this they go ahead and reply right back with ethan ruff he has a 50 plus yard run not a touchdown run but a 50 plus yard run that kind of sets up this next touchdown here and then dj bordeaux on the run finds his boy tanner one more time for a 25 yard touchdown throw but they would miss the two-point conversion so it would only be 14 to 16 with the outlaws still leading at this point in the game now with the outlaws still leading they still want to go ahead and extend their lead and so they're playing aggressive here they're driving but the spartans come up big you know the outlaws they decide to go for it on fourth down and they get stuffed 
The Spartans stop them. And so that sets up this next Spartans offensive drive where DJ finds his board Tanner one more time on another 20 plus yard gain. And then DJ would find Tanner one more time on a 29 yard touchdown reception. You know, Tanner bringing that one in. And that was on fourth down, by the way. So there's a lot on the line there. They were on the other side of the field about 30 yards away from the red zone or from the end zone and so that's when dj found his boy tanner for his third touchdown of the day getting a hat trick real early on in this first half now they would miss the two-point conversion here but it would still be 20 to 16 spartans with them leading going into halftime now, at this point, it's really anybody's game, as y'all have been hearing. Uh, this is a back-and-forth game. Offenses replying and whatnot with big plays. Uh, and so, this was a good one, you know. This was an, an exciting one from the get-go here. To start this second half, the Spartans would actually start out strong. And so, you know, the Outlaws would get the ball. But the Spartans, like I said, started out strong. And they get a three-and-out to open up this drive, force a punt. And this would set up this uh, first offensive drive for the Spartans in the second half. Where DJ Bordeaux finds his other receiver, Julian Savaloya, a.k.a. Juice, for a 50-yard touchdown reception. They would also get the two-point conversion, finally, making it a 28-16 game. Only a 12-point game when you think about it, uh, with the Spartans leading uh, to open up this second half. But not giving up this Outlaws team. They want to respond back and kind of cut into this lead before it gets into the fourth quarter. And before this lead balloons as well. And so they're driving. They get into the red zone here. And oh my god. This was such a lucky, lucky play. But one of the linebackers, I believe it was Sterling. Uh, he had a chance to intercept the ball. It wasn't a good ball, first off. Because it was nowhere near the receiver. But Sterling, he gets a hand on the ball. Tips it. Um, but unfortunately it lands literally right into the hands of a, of a outlaw wide receiver. And he catches that fourth touchdown off that tip and they'll go ahead and get that two point conversion, making it a 28 to 24 game. Um, you know, catching up being only a score away, being only four points away. Actually. Now I believe it's the fourth quarter when that happened or it was about to be the fourth quarter, but this is an injury that had to be noted. Uh, Tanner, number 15, the guy who had three receiving touchdowns to start off this game would actually come out. I want to say following the two-point conversion, um, I want to say he was just going through cramps or something like that. And so that was kind of a big loss, not going to lie, because they do play him on offense, defense, and special teams. Um, obviously, at safety, he's a big part of that defense. Offensively, I mean, three touchdowns in the first half is all you got to know about his impact offensively. So there you go. And so they're without Tanner here. They're trying to work him to get him back, stretch him out, you know, do everything they need to do to get him back here uh, without, you know, forcing it. But, you know, for the time being, this Spartans team is without uh, number 15 Tanner, one of their key contributors on the squad. And so going into this next drive here, um, there, there were definitely some interesting calls. I'm not even going to lie. So they're driving. They're about at the 40 or 50 yard line. DJ Bordeaux, he goes ahead and he scrambles, um, and he gets out of bounds, but he definitely gets like hit really late. Like DJ's feet are like 
definitely out of bounds, and he takes kind of a hard lick there. And um, the refs don't call anything, actually. Actually, they don't call a late hit, even though it was a blatantly late hit. Like, he was out of bounds, and he took a shot. And so... I don't know about that one. And they actually go ahead and call a penalty on the Spartans. I have no idea what it was. So not only did he not get the yards, but they pushed him back like five more yards or something like that. So I, I don't know what happened there. But that's a very bad call in my opinion. Look, here on the podcast, we're not affiliated with AYL. So I'm going to call them out whenever they screw up. And that was a screw up. You know, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a bad hit too. You know, and it definitely shook DJ up a little bit because, I mean, when you're unprotected like that and then you take a hard, like, shot out of nowhere, I mean, it happens, you know. But as a ref, you have to call that. Like, you just have to. You know, uh, this game was getting a little chippy as well. And so, I, I don't know if the refs were feeling some type of way, but they stole that one from the, from the Spartans, in my honest opinion. And that's my opinion, uh, first off. And so, I'm just going to go ahead and say that now. You know, the Spartans, they decide to go for it here. They kind of want to put this team away, having been down and, you know, not having Tanner in the game. But DJ, he does get sacked by number 38 on fourth down. Now, following that failed fourth down conversion, the Outlaws respond in a big way. And number 33 on the Outlaws actually gets a huge 40-yard touchdown run, going ahead and putting the Outlaws ahead in this game 30 to 28, they don't get the two-point conversion. And so this is still a pretty close game right here. Now, the Spartans to get the ball back with a chance to tie this one up. I believe Tanner finally comes in. Um, I He's not 100% healthy, that is obvious. But he comes in anyways, trying to finish out this game. You know, trying to gut out this game, being the tough kid he is. And so, you know, the Spartans team is driving, but DJ, he does get sacked on the second down. They contain him pretty well there, and there just wasn't anybody open. And so he gets sacked. On third down, DJ does find Tanner on a really beautiful throw right over the middle but it is drop tanner he's trying to like bring it in uh but i you can tell there's definitely something bothering him he's not able to and so boom you have a fourth down situation now on fourth down here's what happens dj bordeaux he's looking for his guys and he finds julian savaloya while on the run by the way and he throws it to him julian juice he goes up there and he almost mosses the corner but the corner definitely hits him a little late, you know, and wasn't turned around either. <laughs> and so they go ahead and call a pass interference uh, call on the Outlaws. And so what happens here, and this is something I didn't know. I, I don't know why AYL rules are different from Chassa rules, but I guess in the AYL, a pass interference call does not mean it's an automatic first down it's just like a 5 or 10 yard penalty. Or at least that's what it seemed like. But I also heard someone else say that Chasta plays it that way. Like a pass interference call isn't a first down call. And it's played this exact way. But if that's the case, then why is Chasta running different rules than college and NFL? In my opinion, it's stupid. Where I'm from in Texas, you know, all of our rules are basically lined up with college rules. So there ain't none of this BS about, oh, pass interference is different on this level and this level. And this. Like, no, bro, it's the same because we're about that life. But I, I don't know. I guess there's some confusion there. I think 
in my opinion, pass interference calls are widely known to be at least automatic first downs. I know in the NFL, it's a spot call. Uh, everything else, it's like um, it's a specific like number of yards, a penalty yardage. But usually, it's almost always a first down. And so, definitely some confusion there. Um, the Spartans, they go ahead and call a run play. DJ runs it. He is short, like maybe one or two yards. I think that's where the confusion came from. But also, I'm not a big fan of... Uh, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of that, I guess, rule in general. I, I don't know. If you really want to be one of those people that are like, maybe you should just know the rule book, then, you know, you have that freedom to be that person. I, for one, know my football, and so I'm not going to be that person, and I'm just going to go by the rules that I naturally have known since, you know, I was a child. But either way, Spartans, they get stopped on fourth down, and uh, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all because time is winding down. I believe on that fourth down play or at the beginning of that uh, Spartans drive, uh, there was about five minutes left. So the clock is definitely ticking here. And so, you know, it's only a two point game right now. So if the Spartans stop them, they won't have a lot of time. But, you know, they would still have time to still score and potentially win this game and so the defense they get the spartans defense that is they get this outlaw defense in a fourth down situation they're about you know on the 30 yard line you know and so the outlaws go ahead they basically run um quarterback power type of deal with number zero and he actually goes ahead and breaks this one loose for a 30 yard touchdown run almost certainly putting away the Spartans uh, team if they get the two-point conversion here. That's a big if here because right now it's only an eight-point game. Um, but number 23 on the Spartans, he gets actually a huge interception on the two-point conversion to go ahead and uh, keep this one close. So at, at this point in the game, I believe there's like less than a minute left. You know, it is 36 to 28. The Spartans still have a chance to win this thing. You know, they got to go, though, because they have less than a minute here. Uh, I don't think they have any timeouts. And so not only do they have to score, but they also have to get the two-point conversion to force overtime. So on this last drive of the game, DJ, he finds his boy Tanner for a first down on a slant call. Uh, they go ahead and spike it. And then on second down, I want to say DJ tried to scramble for a couple more yards here. Um, or actually he dumped it off. Either way, it wasn't enough for the first down. And so the clock is rolling. They go ahead, line up, spike it one more time. It is fourth down on this fourth down play. DJ Bordeaux, he tries to scramble and get the first down and eventually, you know, get out of bounds. But he is wrapped up really well, by the way. This is a great tackle. And they stop him short on fourth down. Uh, clock basically runs out, you know, uh, whatever time was left, which is maybe a couple seconds at this point. It runs down and the South Jeffco Outlaws... Go ahead and get another upset win, being the fourth seed, I believe. So first off, let me go ahead and give them a lot of love here. You know, this South Jeffco Outlaws team, uh, they played hard throughout these playoffs, man. They upset, I want to say, they upset the two seed. And then they go ahead and obviously upset this one seed right here. Just playing outside of their mind, playing good football, not giving up when they're down. And getting another big comeback win here to go ahead and be the champions uh, of this 
football game. Now, for the Spartans, look, um, there are a lot of opportunities, I'm not even going to lie, to come in and, and win this game. At one point, they're up, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but they're up by 12 points. You know, but they were still up by basically two scores here, in my opinion. And in Mason's opinion, too, losing Tanner and then him coming back, but not quite being quite there and whatnot, you know, just because of his injury really hurt the Spartans team. Obviously, offensively, you know, you got the duo of Tanner and Juice, but, you know, without Tanner, then they just start bracketing Juice and whatnot. In all game, you know, they were trying to limit Juice and limit his, uh, you know, big play abilities after that three score game last weekend so he was already getting doubled which allowed tanner to get open so many times in one-on-one -on -one coverage and do his thing in between the hash marks and uh, obviously defensively i mean he erases a lot of mistakes on the back end not that this defense made a lot of mistakes but in this game uh they're they're definitely not playing maybe as good as they could have i think to open the game they were allowing a lot of points early on and a lot of yards, but they eventually kind of worked to sealing that. And then when they lost Tanner, that kind of deflated them a little bit there. And I mean, y'all know the rest. And then not to make excuses, but also there are two big calls here that uh, definitely had an impact on this game. One was a bad call altogether. It was a, that late hit on DJ that eventually resulted in a stop on fourth down. And then the other one was that pass interference call. It wasn't a bad call now. It wasn't a bad call, but I, I'm sure it could have probably been clarified. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But, you know, congrats to this South Jeffco Outlaw grade team. Uh, you know, this was really a team effort. I'm looking through my notes and, like, a bunch of different people have scored. I don't think anybody scored more than twice, actually, which is wild for this Outlaws team. Like, four different people, five different uh, people scored. But I think I'm actually going to go ahead and give the Player of the Game award... Oh, man, this is really hard. But I think I'm going to go ahead and give it to number zero on the Outlaws. He had that last 30-yard touchdown run that put the uh, that put the Outlaws up by eight. And so, I mean, it was the last one of the game. It happened to be probably the most important one of the game. I think if this uh, Spartans team was only down 30 to 28, it would be a little bit of a different feel to it. Um, so, you know, there you go. But... Number zero on the Outlaws. I think I'm going to go ahead and give him um, player of the game. But before I end this game recap and talk about the next couple games here. Uh, I'm not going to lie, man. I was I was fighting back tears. Actually, I, th I was tearing up a little bit walking down to accept... Uh, to watch, you know, this team accept their second place trophy, which is never a good feeling, by the way. Also, I'm not a fan of second place trophies. I would rather just go home. So, yeah, that's that's just how I felt. But also, you know, walking down with this team, you know, like I I was feeling all sorts of type of way. I'm just going to say that I was feeling some type of way for sure. You know, like I said, this is a team that I've followed pretty much the entire season. From the beginning to the end, 
you know, missed, you know, two games here and there. But still, this is the team that I followed the most uh, out of any team, you know, on the high school level and middle school level. This is the squad I've really rocked with. And so I just wanted to say thank you to, first off, the coaches there, uh, Coach Current, the head coach, and then all the other coaches there um, that, you know, have allowed me to follow this team and have given us information, have been, you know, so nice to not only me, but the other guys that have come through and watched this game representing the Playmakers Corner as well. You know, I really want to shout them out. They are excellent coaches. You know, they, they coached well. They coached this team very well. This is a team that always fought hard, that always had each other's back, you know. Uh, or at least for the most part, uh, did all those things throughout this season. And honestly, in my opinion, this is one of the best coaching staffs uh, on the middle school level that I have been able to witness. I really like this staff, and I wanted to give them all the credit in the world and thank them so much. I also wanted to thank all the parents as well that have allowed me to watch you know, their kids, take pictures with their kids, talk to their kids, all this stuff, you know, because they don't have to do any of that, first off. Um, they really don't. And so for them to allow me to do that and for them to be so nice to me as well on the sidelines, like, I'll always appreciate that. Also showing us some love on this show in general, you know, um, you would think that a lot of people would show us some love, but after this last weekend, there are definitely a lot of haters out there. I just gotta say that our DMs were flooded. And so you know who you are, but, you know, I honestly don't care. It's not personal. It's football. And so whenever we do get compliments on the show and whatnot, that's always appreciated. It feels good to feel appreciated. That's just, that's a human thing. And so there you go. Just wanted to shout out all the parents, you know, all the parents that I've talked to, grandparents as well, that I've talked to uh, on the Spartans team this last season. And then finally, shout out to these kids, man. I'm going to just go down the line and, like, just say the name of each kid uh, that I either talked about making a big play this season or, um, you know, have noticed this season. But I'm going to go ahead and start with number 74, I believe, current uh, 49, Brandon Lee. Uh, I, oh my god, I forgot his number. It's either 26 or 25, but it's CW, you know, Sterling to four, obviously. That's my dog, you know, he works, that boy works so hard. He's going to be one of the best linebackers in the state one day. Uh, 99, Justin Van, another hard worker there, does all the right things at wide receiver. Does all the dirty work, low-key, at wide receiver there. Uh, Javon Lakey, once again, I can't remember his number, but shout out to him. Uh, obviously, you got Julian Juice, Savaloya, finally saying your name right, plus also a very underrated baller here in the state of Colorado, and this is a stacked, you know, class of 26 class here, but he's definitely a kid you gotta look out for, uh, you just have to, because he's gonna be one of those dudes for sure. Number 15, their do-it-all guy, Tanner Hammett-Tesdall, um, killing it offensively defensively special teams you know this guy he he's one of the best ones you know and um he's he's gonna be a baller as well you know just like all the other kids i've been naming off I, by the way you know i have a lot of belief in all these other kids i'm naming off as well for a reason so just throwing that out there number 14 ethan ruff i feel like i haven't talked about him enough but <laughs> he's he's somebody that's uh, uh, turned up this season as well. Extremely underrated on this team. And then, obviously, number two, DJ Bordeaux. Y'all already know, first middle school quarterback. First middle school player I ever did a breakdown on. We ever did a breakdown on. And, you know, um, 
I mean, just shout out to him, his pops, Brandon. We'll always be appreciative of that first invite to that game and to many of these games, you know, um, and being able to see not only DJ, because DJ played phenomenal this season, uh, but all of his teammates that did a very good job as well. And if there's anybody I'm missing, you know, and there's plenty, I know, but I just either don't have your full name or your number here. Uh, just wanted to show you some love as well. You know, this Spartans team was a special squad, you know, a lot of good kids. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of good kids and then good players following as well. It was fun watching this team grow and following this team throughout the season. Now moving forward into this next chapter of life. I'm looking forward to seeing where all these kids go, what high schools they go to, and seeing them eventually, you know, work to where they want to be in life, ultimately. But, you know, just huge shout out to the Spartans Black team. Once again, coached by head coach Current. Hope y'all know it's all love. You know, we all, not just me, but all of us here on the Playmakers Corner really did appreciate uh, all of y'all allowing us to follow this team and for all the love that y'all have shown us, you know. Um, it's been an absolute honor. And just know if y'all ever need anything, we got your back. Just go ahead and send us a message. You know where to find us. We'll be right here. But uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and hop into this next playoff game here. And that is Hawks Orange, a.k.a. the Parker Hawks, versus Bruins Blue, a Cherry Creek Middle School football team. This is the second matchup of the year for them. In the first matchup, this Hawks team actually won in the last drive, scoring a touchdown in the two-point conversion to win 8-6, to six, I believe. And so this was the rematch. You know, this was the rematch that everyone was looking forward to for the last couple years, uh, you know, talking to some parents these two squads have battled with each other almost every season, even late in the season as well. And so you can't take that for granted, you know, but this was going to be a battle either way. And it showed because in the first quarter, nobody scored. It was just a back and forth game, a lot of hard hitting and really good defense, really disciplined defense, by the way. You know what, that actually carries over into the second quarter where number 16 on the Hawks gets a big tackle on fourth down, uh, stuffing this Bruins team and forcing a turnover on downs. Then in return, number 14 on the Bruins, that is Joseph Williams, gets a huge sack on third down. I believe this would eventually force a punt back to the hawks now oh my lord this is just going back and forth but number 72 on the hawks he would actually get a huge hit on third and then they would actually stop them on fourth down because this bruins team would try to go for it and it would be another turnover on downs but finally this little standstill here would come to an end when number 11 on this hawks orange team breaks loose and actually catches a 65-yard touchdown from number 9, Michael Marcinich, who is playing this game. And he rumbles down the sideline. I thought he was going to get caught from behind, but I'm pretty sure he plays tight end for the Hawks. He catches this one from Michael, and he goes ahead and scores the first touchdown of the game. Now, the Hawks do run the ball on um, their extra point attempt, and they get stuffed. And so it's a 6-0 lead, but the Hawks are leading, uh, and they get up, and that's what matters here. 
as they roll into halftime. So yeah, not much going on. Six to zero. You know, I read off a couple a couple of defensive stops there. You know, just to kind of get a feel for this game. Like I said, it was a back and forth game. A lot of big plays on third down and fourth down defensively. But that throw from number nine to his tight end number eleven on that crossing route, I want to say, was huge and kind of opened this one up. Now, going into this third quarter, number 79 on the Hawks actually gets a huge sack uh, on third down, and that is Gage Turnbull. He gets a huge sack, forcing yet another Bruins punt. And then, you know, eventually this Bruins team, they would uh, end their scoreless streak here, their scoreless streak of drives here, and that would start with number 44. That is Amari Williams breaking loose with a 20-yard touchdown run for Creek. Noah Moss, he would actually go ahead and run in the two-point conversion, making this an 8-6 game with the Bruins retaking the lead. Now, the Hawks, they're trying to respond back here, and so number 9, Marco, Michael Marcinich, finds his tight end once again, number 11, for another huge 20-yard reception to move the sticks. And this will lead into the fourth quarter, and you know, this Hawks team... Uh, they're driving, and they're in Creek territory here. But number 13 on Cherry Creek, he gets a huge tackle for loss on third down. And then they would also get another big stop on fourth down because this Hawks team would go for it and get a big red zone stop, you know, going ahead and stopping uh, the Hawks from retaking the lead. Now, you know, this team, they're not quite safe yet. This Bruins team that is isn't quite safe yet they're still on the wrong side of the field they got about 80 yards to go here and so they're trying to get moving here trying to you know go ahead and uh extend this lead because they're only winning by two it's eight to six at this point you know it's a hard-hitting game and so they want to play it aggressive and go ahead and drive down this field and so brady vodka he drops back and i he's getting pressure like there's been pressure all game especially by number 57 nate helms and number 88 on that hawks team and on this play, it was no different. They're getting pressure. Brady, he, I believe, is trying to throw in rhythm to his receiver, who I think he believes is on a crossing route. But Riken Banks is there instead of his receiver, and he goes ahead and intercepts the ball and then returns it to the house for a pick six. Now, this Hawks team wouldn't miss the conversion, but they would go ahead and take this lead 12-8 to off an absolutely sensational defensive play by the man, the myth, the legend, Reichenbanks. And so they go ahead and take that lead there. But not to be outdone, this Bruins team, they go ahead and get this ball back. And, you know, they're driving down the field with a couple different runs here um, by Noah Moss, by number 44, Amari Williams. You know, Brady, Vodka, he's also throwing the ball as well. And so they're putting together a pretty solid drive here. And so Brady, Vodka, um, on this last play of this drive, goes ahead and gets a nice 25-yard touchdown run to go ahead and take back the lead, but they wouldn't get the two-point conversion. This was kind of a close call here. I thought maybe they got it at first, but ended up they didn't, but they're still leading 14-12 to 12 here in the fourth 
quarter. Now going into this Hawks drive here, Michael Marcinich once again dials up another nice pass. This time a beautiful pass. This one's a post route to Riken Banks, who just gets behind the safety just barely. Uh, but you know, Michael he's able to throw it up there, and Riken absolutely skies like this dude like leaps and grabs this a uh, ball and goes ahead and runs 50 yards to the house. Uh, with a huge touchdown catch here, retaking this lead for the Hawks. Uh, they wouldn't get the two-point conversion. And so at this point, it is 18-14 with, uh, I want to say, maybe five or four minutes left in this game. Now going into this drive here, Creek, they have the ball. But number 88 on the Hawks gets a huge sack on second down. But on fourth down, Brady Vodka. Goes ahead and takes it himself and gets a key first down here as this Bruins team is driving with about, I want to say like either a minute or two minutes left in this game. And so this Bruins team, they're trying to keep this Hawks team, you know, kind of on their toes. So they're running the ball primarily with Amari Williams, I might add, because Noah Moss was a little banged up going into this game. And you know, this Bruins team is kind of using up a lot of time, uh, almost to a fault. I thought they might... Just maybe run out of some time here because they are running the ball so much. But they do get, you know, inside the 10-yard line, I want to say, or 15-yard line. Something like that. And then this is where the magic happens. Brady Vodka, cool and calm, goes ahead and drops back. And he finds his boy, number 17, Jaden Irving, who's running an out route on a perfect throw. This was the... I mean, honestly, as perfect of a throw as you could get, you know, high and outside, away from the defender. The defender wasn't playing this one bad at all. Like, he was sticking to Jaden Irving here. But Brady, he just throws a perfect throw here to Jaden. He catches it, toe taps it, inbounds in the end zone for basically a walk-off touchdown here, making it 20-18 to Bruins taking the lead now they wouldn't get the two-point conversion but basically at this point there's only maybe enough time for uh, a kickoff a kick return and so they go ahead kick it off um they call it down and then i think uh, the hawks run one more play but it's not enough to beat this bruins team they go ahead and win it 20 to 18 off of an absolutely like signature win by Brady Vodica here as an 8th grader in middle school. I'm going to be completely honest, I have not seen many quarterbacks like this young just look so cool and collected, especially after a pick 6, and go ahead and win this team. Not only did he score the last two touchdowns by uh, for this Cherry Creek Bruins team, but he did it after throwing that bad pick 6. And you know what? That's what you love to see out of a quarterback, being able to have that short-term, uh, you know, memory and having just a cool and collective mindset all together, you know. There was not a time where Brady looked panicked even when he ran for that fourth down. And so for that reason, Brady Vodka is the player of the game in this huge championship dub for this Bruins blue team. This was an absolutely great team. Now this Parker team. I got to give them a lot of credit man. They were hitting hard. And they have a lot of players on this team. Nate Helms. Riken Banks. Michael Marcinich. Uh, Gage Turnbull. Tristan Tafoya. Number 11. That tight end who made some really big plays this game. 
on number 88, that defensive end on the other side of Nate Helms, who not only this game, but last game as well, was just constantly getting pressure on the quarterback and showing that he's one of the better pass rushers going into his freshman year. This is a talented Parker Hawks team, man. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. If this team stays together, goes to high school together, whether it's a legend, um, well, I would actually assume that it would be legend. You know, this might be a future state championship squad. They have a lot of talent. And so, you know, this dub, as much as it was, you know, this Cherry Creek Bruins team just playing out of their mind, playing great, playing the level of football that a lot of these kids are capable of, you know, this game was good because they were doing that against a very good Parker Hawks team that could have won this game as well. You know, this was a very close game. It really could have went either way. You had a couple swings here and there that, you know, really could have happened for either squad. And so, if I'm this Hawks team, I am very happy with how this season ended, you know. Um, well, maybe not very happy, obviously, because you lost in the championship game. But I'm at least satisfied with putting up the performance you did because I felt like this Hawks team put up a good enough performance to win the championship game. It really just came down to that one play, Brady throwing it to Jaden Irving there on that uh, touchdown throw to win the game. And so, you know, kudos to this Hawks team because they're very good. I fully expect to be talking about a lot of these kids uh, on the high school level, naming some of them player of the week, you know, uh, playmaker of the year, newcomer of the year, all this stuff because this is a very stacked team along with this Cherry Creek team, uh, you know, but they always are. And so uh, nothing new here, but shout out to both teams. This was an excellent game. Uh, this obvious, this was obviously, you know, the top tier championship game. It was obvious that this was the championship game to watch because both of these teams, you know, are stacked. And so looking forward to following these uh, players on both sides moving forward. Um, and congrats to the Bruins Blue. Alright, now let me go ahead and talk about the last championship game of the day. And that was Thunder Gray versus Raptors White. Uh, this Thunder Gray team is the other team that we followed for a lot of the season. This is Chase Pruitt's squad. And so speaking of Chase Pruitt, to start off this game, uh, he would actually get a huge strip sack. Um, to go ahead and force a turnover on this Raptors squad. And this was a big play because, you know, he got the strip sack. It was a fumble. They recovered it on, um, well, in Raptors territory. And so they didn't have a long way to go. And so right off the bat, making a huge play there. Now, this Thunder team would get a pretty nice 20-yard rush to go ahead and get them into the red zone. But it was number 14. Nathan Schallenberg would go ahead and get that five-yard touchdown run, putting up the Thunder 6-0. Now, they wouldn't get the two-point conversion, and so that's how it would stay going into the second quarter. Now, in the second quarter here, number 21 for this Thunder Gray team, Mo, And we've talked about this kid a lot through this season would go ahead and get a huge hit on third down and then on the following down he would go ahead and get a big time sack on fourth down uh, and making it three sacks already in this man in this game uh, at the very start of the second quarter and so that would already be a turnover on downs but this thunder team isn't able to score here yet they pass it and um, it's knocked down on fourth down and so it's another 
turnover downs. Now the Raptors team, they're driving and they find themselves in another fourth down situation. And so they're trying to keep this play, keep this drive alive here. And so they go ahead and draw this Thunder team offsides, keeping the drive alive at least for another set of downs. On this drive though, a Raptors wide receiver will get a huge play where this receiver just absolutely mosses the cornerback for a 20 plus yard gain. That would go ahead and set up the Raptors on the other side of the field in Thunder territory. But what would happen? Um, Chase, <laughs> Chase Pruitt would go ahead and seal the edge on a power option and gets a huge tackle for a loss, forcing a fourth down situation. And then number 98 on this Thunder team gets a huge sack on fourth down. That is Patrick Murphy. He gets a huge sack to go ahead and shut down this Raptors drive right here. That will be the end of the first half, basically. 6-0 Thunder. This Thunder team, they're playing great defense offensively. You know, they're moving the ball down the field. They just need to finish their drives. And so they go ahead and have that in mind going into this third quarter here. And so to start off this third quarter, Chase Pruitt, he gets a nice 20-yard rush to get this offense going here. And then there would be a 30-yard run on a power option by number 53, Colin Hines, I want to say. And so, you know, they're driving and they're in the red zone, but the Raptors actually go ahead and get a huge interception on fourth down uh, at the goal line here to go ahead and stop that drive for the Thunder. But it doesn't matter. This Thunder defense holds strong. And number 53, once again, Colin Hines, he actually breaks out a 40-yard touchdown run plus to get the two-point conversion to go ahead and put this Thunder team up 14 to zero here in the third quarter then once again this thunder team forces another three and out and the number one young cmc chase pruitt takes the first carry of this drive 40 yards to the house making it a 20 to zero game at this point the thunder they're in pretty uh good control of this game they haven't allowed this raptors team to drive too much here um but you know in the fourth quarter the raptors they do get an interception off the tip doesn't matter because Chase gets a huge chase down tackle to stop a potential touchdown run because this running back was like, oh my god, he was like running down the sideline and he was about to break this one. And then Chase comes out of nowhere and just runs this dude down DK Metcalf style and stops him from scoring. And you know, this would be huge because this Thunder team would eventually uh, stop them and force a pretty big stop. And that was really the last time the Raptors got into Thunder territory from here on out the Thunder kind of just ran out the clock and this Thunder grade team wins the championship game 20 to 0 playing a very physical and tough defensive game against this Raptors team not giving them much to work with and so before I talk about the other Thunder grade players on this team that you know we've talked about this season and have played really good in this game I want to give our player of the game award to number one young CMC Chase Pruitt this kid did it all this game uh, from the beginning to the end. At the beginning, he had that strip sack that forced a fumble and eventual first score for this Thunder Gray team. He would also have a key third down tackle for loss um, while this Raptors team was in Thunder territory, actually. That would eventually lead to a fourth down stop. Um, and then obviously, you know, Chase, he had a couple really long gains here, including that 20-yard run um, in the second half. And then that 40-yard touchdown run 
in the third quarter. He also had a really key pass deflection. It was almost an interception. It would have been a fantastic interception, but he couldn't hold on to it. Doesn't matter though, because they eventually stopped them. That was on that was on one of the three and outs that this Thunder defense forced. And so Chase Pruitt, you know, just doing it all, uh, especially defensively, but on offense as well, getting his touchdown run there. And so for those reasons, Chase Pruitt is our player of the game here. Now, once again, I want to shout out all these players that have been killing it this season, including Omani Johnson, uh, Drake Johnson, obviously you got Chase Pruitt, Nathan Schallenberg, Patrick Murphy, Armani Teasley, Kingston Wade, um, number eight, the quarterback, Jaden Hopkins, you know, all these guys, uh, and more. There, there are a lot of names that I didn't get to name off here, but all these guys, you know, they played a great season. We've called them out at one point or another, either in this championship game or before in this season. So we wanted to shout them out just like we did with, or just like I did with the Spartans. I also want to shout out the coaching staff over there. Shout out to Coach Ace. Uh, we talked to him for a while, actually, the morning of these championship games. And so shout out to him. Uh, uh, shout out to Coach Astorga over there as well. Shout out to all the parents that have supported us. Uh, Chase Pruitt's parents especially, you know. Uh, they've been really kind to us and we really appreciate them allowing us to talk to Chase, watch his games and all that. You know, and this goes out to all the parents on the Thunder Grade team as well for uh, supporting us, you know, not only them. We just wanted to, you know, just say how thankful we were. This was a very fun team to watch. This squad defensively is super tough, man. Like, they they gave a lot of teams some troubles out there. And so that has to be noticed. And, you know, this is a very deserving team of this championship game. And, you know, a very good ending to the AYL playoffs and 2021 middle school season and coverage you know we had a lot of fun going out to these middle school games every saturday you know it was an absolute pleasure meeting everyone uh seeing a bunch of different teams play the junior buffs um the spartans black team thunder gray team um some travel teams like that falcons team um ti's uh spart or not spartans raptors silver team the springs team uh with coach dooley kobe all them boys amari kyle you know it was an absolute pleasure this class of 26 squad, um, they're going to be special, man. There's a lot of ballers in this class that can definitely be D1 guys and have that potential. And so super excited to follow them into high school, you know, follow their careers and whatnot as they become freshmen and uh, so forth. And so super excited for all of that. Once again, thank you so much to all the coaches, parents, players that have supported us next year. We are hoping to cover the 8th grade level of the AYL again, uh, but we're going to need some names, man. We're going to need some names to look out for, some teams to look out for, you know, so feel free to slide into our DMs and let us know, uh, either now or later, probably later, though, about that, and we'll love to come watch some games, um, you know, find some teams to follow moving forward. We are also looking at potentially going to some St. Rain Middle School games, we also want to check out, you know, our boy Bucky Kritza over there in Boulder. And so we want to check out more middle school games around the state, not just AYL here. And so feel free to DM us uh, just like this year. If we can make it, we'll try to and we'll let y'all know. And so, yeah, that'll wrap up this middle school segment here. Once again, thank you so much to everyone. And, uh, you know, good luck to all the players moving on into high school. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner. I am one of your co-hosts, 
today, Simon Voyanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And I'm one of the other co-hosts, Cody Stoffer. And I'm one of the other co-hosts, Mason Austin. And today, we're going to go ahead and preview the 3A playoffs. And so, for the, I mean, this episode's going to drop. And then I'm assuming we're probably going to drop our 3A brackets as well. And so, we're just going to go ahead and predict the rest of the playoffs uh, in those brackets. But today, we are going to talk first round matchups and just predict the first round for this 3A bracket. And so, let's go ahead and get this thing started. I'm going to go through real quick, though, and just set the picture, set the stage here. Um, Just name all the teams that made it in, what seed they are, and the matchups. And then we'll hop into previews on each of these teams here. But uh, in the top of this bracket, and I'm looking at this uh, Max Preps bracket, by the way. So if you're a listener and you want to follow along, go ahead. But at the top of this bracket, we have number one Roosevelt versus number 16 Thomas Jefferson. Right below that, the winner of that game plays the winner of Holy Family versus Pueblo South. Holy Family being 8, South 9. Then uh, game 3 right here, we have Durango, number 4 versus number 13, Evergreen. The winner of that game plays number 5, Mead. Um, The winner of number 5, Mead versus number 12, Northridge. And then we got number 3, Fort Morgan versus number 14, Green Mountain. Winner of that game plays the winner of number 6, Frederick, and number 11, Pueblo County. And then we have number 7, Palisade, versus number 10, Pueblo East. The winner of that matchup plays the winner of number 2, Lutheran, versus number 15, Discovery Canyon. And so we're going to go ahead and start at the top of this bracket And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and talk about Roosevelt here first. I was able to go to that Roosevelt versus Meade game. And as you, the fans, remember, and as we here remember, Cody did pick Roosevelt to win state back in the preseason. So just keep that in mind. I'm going to get this. But uh, (laughs) let me go ahead and talk about some of the players to look out for in case you haven't been paying attention so far this season or if you are a new fan and have just joined us here but you know definitely someone to look out for is their senior quarterback he's a one-year starter but that is brock say on the year he threw for 1824 passing yards 25 passing touchdowns and only one interception uh through 10 games which is pretty good for a one-year starter he also has a 74 percent completion rating and so that's definitely a guy you gotta look out for when he's on he's good you know let's just say that um and then rushing wise we have a couple different dudes here who could run the ball they definitely had a little bit of a run by committee type of deal here and so i'm just gonna go down the line that's a uh, junior running back ryan Doucette sophomore running back xavier ramirez um senior running back cooper walton and then you have brock Sia in there as well he carried the ball as a senior and so uh Doucette, he had 660 rushing yards and 12 rushing touchdowns on the year uh with only 72 carries now xavier ramirez also had 72 carries but only had 602 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns Cooper Walton's in there as well with 225 rushing uh, yards and three rushing touchdowns. And then Brock Sai is in there with 223 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. So definitely a run by committee team. Now, 
I would definitely say that, you know, one of the strengths of this team is the receiving core as well. And, you know, they, they love to pass it and they can and will if possible because they have some two talented receivers here who are definitely stars and uh, definitely guys to look out for because they're probably some of the best receivers in the entire state, regardless of class. And so their star receiver, number 20, Tucker Peterson, only a junior, but he had 40 reception, 40 receptions. 850 receiving yards and 12 receiving touchdowns on the year averaging about 85 receiving yards a game and then you have the senior the speedster keaton kaiser he had 39 receptions uh, so only one reception less than tucker peterson but 542 receiving yards for receiving touchdowns and then this is somebody who i feel like is pretty underrated but it's Jaden herrera he is a senior with 15 receptions 192 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns he is more of capable of uh eating and he will when you got a double tucker peterson and keaton kaiser and so this offense is definitely a loaded one with a lot of different weapons on here that could go to work but on defense they got some dudes too Cooper Walton on the other side of the ball. He plays linebacker for this team. He leads the team with 63 total tackles. Also has 14 total uh, or tackles for losses on the year. Then right after him, you have Jaden Castanueva in that Mead game. His name was called out a lot, just shutting down the run. He had 57 total tackles and also 14 tackles for losses on the year. You have outside linebacker Clayton Robinson, uh, 54 total tackles, 16 tackles for losses on the year. And so those are the top three guys. And then you have Valencia, uh, Bottero, Paul, all guys over 40 total tackles on the year. Also, by the way, Tucker Peterson with 10 tackles for losses. He plays defense as well. I'm pretty sure he's their corner. And then Bronco Hartson, the brother of Brig Hartson with 38 total tackles and 13 tackles for losses. This is a team that, man, they had 112 tackles for losses on the season, which is basically averaging 10 of those uh, a game, which is pretty tough. Not going to lie. This is a pretty tough defense. Uh, Sackwise, Cooper Walton, and Castanueva and, and Valencia all are tied with four sacks on the year and some this is definitely a very stout team uh, offensively they have a lot of firepower between all their weapons defensively their linebacking core is elite and is one that flows the ball and you know make it tough on teams to to run the ball and they also get some pressure on the quarterback as well and some there's a reason this roosevelt team you know is um, pretty sure they were undefeated on the year at 10 and 0 and they are the one seed this is a powerhouse type of squad right here but uh let me go ahead and throw it to mason i think or sorry or wait is it Cody? I forgot. My bad. It is me. Who is going to talk about Thomas Jefferson, his favorite team here. Yeah. yeah the 16th seed. But uh, go ahead. Yeah. So Thomas Jefferson, I talked about them in the, you know, 3A preview as a potential playoff team. And they at least lived up to that going seven and three this year. And that was on the heels of, you know, a, a playmaking defense led by some seniors here, you know. You had Jeremiah Barella, who had himself, I believe, three inter... No, he had himself a bunch of pass deflections. That's what he did um, for this defense. And then you also had players like McCour Abram. He led this team in sacks with six sacks this year and also racked up 10 total tackles for loss. And he's a junior this year. 
And also on the defensive side of the ball, you had Jalen Ship. He led this team in tackles, actually, with 74 total tackles, including 11 for loss. So, you know, he was just flying all over the field constantly and was, I'd say, probably the leader of this defense. But, you know, I think the biggest reason why I talked about this team last year, or I guess from the spring heading into this year, was their senior quarterback, Austin Lindegreen. And, you know, he has kind of struggled this year as a passer. He took a step back, but he took a step forward as a runner. And for this Thomas Jefferson team, he had about 100 carries for 1,100 yards and 17 total touchdowns. And, you know, another benefactor of his success was the sophomore running back, Dimitri Haralombopoulos, I believe is how you say that. Uh, and if I'm saying that wrong, please correct me. But he also ran for 14 scores this year and was a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball with two interceptions himself. So, you know, they have a pretty balanced team, I would say. And, you know, they they rode a pretty high wave to end the season, you know, going 5-0 and in league play. So, including against... You know, some teams, at least with winning records, but ultimately, you know, clinched league beating Riverdale Ridge last Friday because, you know, 3A waited to finish their season after everyone. But against other playoff teams this year, you know, to Pueblo South, they lost to them 42 to 18 in Pueblo. And then they also placed 4A or played 4A second seed Dakota Ridge and lost 49 to 7. So they definitely have some challenges ahead of them that rival some of the challenges that they've seen so far, and they are going to have to step it up if they're going to find success. And it's all up to Austin Lindegreen to, you know, turn the ball over less as a passer and turn up more making plays. And losing two of his senior receivers from last year definitely didn't help, but he's going to have to find a way if these Spartans are going to have a chance against the Rough Riders. Do we want to jump into predictions here, Simon? Maybe starting with Mason's prediction for this game? Yes. All right, go ahead, Mason. Um, I don't think this one's going to be close, guys. I got Rose without winning. Cody? Yeah, so I'm going to have to agree with that. You know, I was pretty high on Thomas Jefferson this last year, and I just don't see them, you know, holding up their end of the bill here in this first round. The interceptions from Austin scare me away. You know, he's thrown five interceptions to only three touchdowns this year, and you are not going to be allowed to make these kind of mistakes against Roosevelt. I got Roosevelt winning this game. Simon, do you... <laughs> I'm assuming yeah, you have I to agree. share a I agree. with us. <laughs> Shouldn't be a close one. If it is, that's a red flag. But um, even then, I don't think Roosevelt's really going to face a challenge until maybe the semifinals. So, yeah. Yeah, and I also just want to chip in here that I did see this Roosevelt team play against Fort Morgan, who is the number three seed. And it's one of the best games that I got to see all year. It made the drive to Fort Morgan wor worth it, which is saying a lot. It's a very far and boring drive. But... You know, Roosevelt showed grit in that game, being down heading into the fourth quarter and, you know, making big plays to take the lead. And they just they have a very well-rounded team, I think, is one of the best strengths of this team is that they just have a dude at every single position. And Simon, I don't know if I filled you in on this or if you knew this, but, you know, Cooper Walton 
he's committed to CSU. And for a 3A school, that is a big deal. And so, you know, with his leadership on the defensive side of the ball, as well as just the offensive weapons they have, I did a breakdown on Tucker Peterson, you know, in the off season last year. And that was when he was only a sophomore and he's only gotten better and worked on some of the things that I talked about him needing to work on this year. And so Roosevelt is a very dangerous team and, you know, still definitely high up there for me as far as just being a contender to win all of 3A as I did in the very preview of this season. Well, congrats to Coop. Also, shout out to his pops for, uh, you know, being a big supporter of this podcast as well. Well, actually, shout out to all of Roosevelt for being a big supporter of this podcast. They uh, they give us a lot of love. Not that that affects our picks. They're the number one seed. So, yeah. Yeah. T- Tucker's dad also tunes into the podcast and whatnot. So do, do we do appreciate the support. But it also helps that your team is just straight up good when we're making these predictions. Yeah, it makes these predictions easier on us. But uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and move on to a matchup that is not as easy as this first one. And that is Holy Family versus Pueblo South. Uh, Cody, do you want me to go ahead and talk about Holy Family first here? Yeah, talk to us. First off, Holy Family is the eighth seed, while Pueblo South is the ninth seed. But uh, you know what? Holy Family is a squad that we knew was going to make the playoffs regardless. Uh, <laughs> we just They're just one of those teams that are always good. Even last year when they lost so many players, uh, we knew they were a team that were going to come back and you know make a, make a little run here. And so um, they did finish with a 6-4 and four record. I want to talk about that record first. Uh, by the way, they did play Pueblo South in the first game of the season and beat them 34 to 27 um but their losses here which i'm going to talk about roosevelt they lost to them 49 to 7 they lost to 2a resurrection christian 35 to 20 i don't know how that happened and then they lost to me 35 to 32 um also notably they lost to fort morgan last week 49 to 30 but don't get it twisted. This is still a pretty solid Holy Family team. You know, they beat Green Mountain, who's in the playoffs. They beat them 28-6. Like I said, they already beat Pueblo South earlier in the season. Um, beat Thompson Valley. Beat Frederick, who's also in the playoffs. Uh, beat Skyview 49-0. And so they have some quality dubs on their record here. And so people to look out for. I would say uh, their sophomore quarterback, Rylan Cooney, is definitely the guy moving forward at the beginning of the season, especially in that Pueblo South game. He was basically splitting snaps with uh, senior quarterback Tyler Stevens. Uh, Stevens was just not getting it done, to be completely honest with you. Stevens actually has a 49% completion um, percentage here now that I'm looking at it. But uh, Rylan Cooney, he is the guy moving forward for this Holy Family team. Um, He has solidified his role and is, I'm pretty sure he's the only one really taking snaps at quarterback here and doing his thing but on the season he had 1,449 passing yards with a 53 uh, completion percentage then through 16 touchdowns to only seven interceptions he also ran for 282 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns on the season now at running back They got the athlete, their two-star athlete, I believe, Jacob Lover. He plays safety and running back, but as a running back, he was invaluable with 805 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns. Uh, McNaughton, 
I want to say, is second on this team, too, with 347 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. And so those are some guys to keep an eye on. Now, at receiver, their tight end actually leads the team, and it's not even close in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. This is a guy who is probably a candidate to make our top five list uh, for tight ends, which will come out not this week, but next week. I believe, and that is Dominic Mazula. He has 43 receptions for 804 receiving yards and nine receiving touchdowns. Second on this list is actually Jacob Walver, again, with 218 receiving yards and three receiving touchdowns. And so that's uh, the offense for this Holy Family team. Defensively, we've been known they're tough. That is an absolute fact. And they are led by Brady Samaras, I want to say. He has 77 total tackles on the year. Uh, Only two tackles for losses on the season, though, which is interesting. But the second leading tackler, only behind by three tackles, is Alex Austin. He has 74 total tackles on the year and 12 tackles for losses. And so um, those are kind of the lead guys there. Uh, Jacob Lover is right here with 23 total tackles um, through nine games as well and then their lead guy is actually alex austin with nine sacks he's their sack leader for this squad and so this is a pretty solid holy family team i mean we've been known that going into this season but cody do you want to talk about pueblo south before we go into predictions here yeah i i'd love to talk about pueblo south and you know i think it starts and ends with their senior quarterback, Jace Bella. He's a, I want to say two-time playmaker of the week, maybe three-time, Simon? Two, two. Two-time, two-time. I know that I at least gave it to him once, and I think you might have done the other one, or maybe it was me. I don't I don't, I don't remember the, specific, the, the specifics. <laughs> That's how you say that word. I don't remember the specifics, but I do know that he is an absolute baller, and he's been great so far this season you know he's accounted for the majority of their scrimmage yards he's accounted for the majority of their touchdowns too scoring 17 touchdowns eight on the ground nine through the air he's cleaned up his turnover problems quite a bit i'd say only throwing one interception this entire year so that's awesome to see they've also gotten a little bit of help from their junior running back elijah aguilar He's their second leading rusher and also has three scores. And then they also have a sophomore back, number 27, Gonzalez, who has ran for four scores as well. So they're very hard to stop in the red zone between Jace Bella's arm and legs. You know, he's just super athletic and just a force to be reckoned with. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they do a great job of forcing a lot of turnovers. This is a very stout secondary led by junior Ray Aragon. He has five interceptions for 181 interception return yards, which is, you know, it comes out to an average of 36.2. And it's just absolutely ludicrous here. Then you also have the other junior here in Mateo Escaval. He has four interceptions this year. And then Jace Bella is, you know, a two-way player with two interceptions as well as three fumble recoveries this year. So they have been able to score in a variety of ways. You know, I mean, they have Jace Bella with a pick six this year and also a fumble return for a touchdown and, you know, his eight rushing touchdowns and nine passing touchdowns. Jace Bella has been 
dominant this year and I think is definitely worth taking a look at as one of our playmakers of the year on the 3A level. You know, he's definitely going to get some consideration. And this has been a really tough schedule, I'd say, to accomplish those things. Like you said, Simon, Holy Family in that opening week, they lost to them, lost to them 34 to 27. And that was in Broomfield, which is where they're going to have to play again for this opening round game. They also lost to fellow you know playoff team discovery canyon they're the 15 seed they lost them 21 to 13 and then after those two losses they would get on a bit of a roll here you know beating i think seven teams in a row you know lewis palmer eh, that's not the best win but then a, a playoff team in thomas jefferson a playoff team in green mountain they won canyon city because of a forfeit but then they took care of a lot of business down in pueblo beating centennial 49 to 14 pueblo east was a very tough game and i know for a fact that jace bella won player of the week in that game and you know they they rode this tide until they lost to the pueblo county hornets but i'm not sure who was playing and who wasn't in that game just because i mean they had already you know clinched a higher seed in in this tournament in Pueblo County they ended up with the 11th seed so you know I feel like Pueblo South already took care of their business especially within Pueblo and you know I I don't have a whole lot of stock invested into that last loss that put them at seven and three on this season Simon you mind if I go ahead and make a prediction for this game sure Look, Holy Family, we talked about it in the preseason that they were going to make the playoffs. They're, you know, a consistent program, one of the most consistent in the entire state. And, you know, they've had some pretty solid wins and some close games. You know, I look at this Mead game that they only lost by three. I look at this Frederick game that they won in overtime. They have some very impressive games this season. They have this win over Pueblo South at the beginning of the season. But I just don't see this game going down the same way. I like kind of the role that Pueblo South has been on. I love the efficiency of Jay Spella. I love what this defense is able to do with its athletes. And, you know, I look at just, you know, the amount of interceptions that the sophomore quarterback has thrown for this Holy Family team. And I think that Pueblo South has got to be licking their chops you know, knowing that this game could be different and that they might be able to, you know, force a turnover and take it to the house on the defensive side of the ball. I'm taking the Pueblo South Colts in an upset over Holy Family this weekend. Mason, you should probably go ahead and go on with your prediction. Um, This is kind of tough. It could probably go either way. Well, I think I'm going to go with Holy Family. I think it's going to repeat itself. Um, I think it's going to be a really close game, and I think as long as the quarterback for Holy Family plays well, it's over. Simon, what do you think? Fair enough. Like I said, at the first game of the season, um, you know, Holy Family played Pueblo South. They were definitely rotating quarterbacks here. I'm looking at the stat sheet right here. Uh, Ryland Cooney, who is the better quarterback in my opinion, only had two or three attempts, completed two of those. Uh, one went for a touchdown, and then I think the one incompletion was an interception. But it was the backup, the senior quarterback, Tyler Stevens, who 
actually had a really nice game. He won 7 of 16 for 220 passing yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. In my opinion, if the backup quarterback could do that to Pueblo South, then the starting quarterback could do that to Pueblo South. And, you know, the other thing that I'm going to throw out there as well, Jace Bella, he did play some of this game before being taken out. Uh, I think injury concern is definitely still a thing for Jace Bella. I kind of, I, I don't know. I would feel like they would want to win that last game of the season because they only lost like 14 to zero and or sorry 13 to zero is what it was and uh, i don't know i don't know I'm, I'm just a little bit shocked that they if they were i would be a little bit more shocked if they're arresting players and so uh they don't have their box score uploaded as of today november 7th sunday and so it kind of leads me to believe that maybe Jay Spella got hurt again because I feel like them losing to County would potentially affect where they would get ranked in these playoffs here because Pueblo South did finish ninth while County was at 11. I feel like if they got that dub, then maybe they would be in the top eight, which is definitely a big difference between, you know, having home field advantage and not, at least in my opinion. And they're also going back to Broomfield, too, with all of that being said. And so I have Holy Family here. You know, I believe in their sophomore quarterback, Ryland Cooney. He does need to play a clean game. If he doesn't, then this game could get a little, you know, closer than it needs to be a little out of hand. And it could definitely flip. Uh, and this will be a close game regardless. But I think I'm going to go ahead and pick Holy Family to beat Pueblo South, pending on Jay Spella's uh, health and all that. Well, cool beans. That has it uh, two to one, Holy Family over Pueblo South here at PMC. I think that's good enough to jump to the next set of games that will determine the second round game. Do you, Mason, do you want to start off talking about the underdog 13 seed Evergreen? Yeah, for sure. Um, so to start, uh, Evergreen's record is eight and two. Uh, they lean on their junior quarterback. Uh, Tommy Pulaski, I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, he's got 1,897 yards on 159% or 159 completions, 21 touchdowns to four interceptions. Uh, their junior running back has 740 yards on 125 carries. That's Gabe Zimmer. And then wide receiver wise, their top guy is... Owen Pardo uh, looks like he has 32 receptions for 521 yards. And it looks like these are their main guys that they kind of lean on. Uh, the numbers kind of vary. The next guy on running is 111. Obviously quarterback, he only has 34 yards. And then 299 is their next receiver. So I think they really lean on these three guys in the offense. Uh, defensively, they uh, definitely lean on their top tackler, which is uh, Jack Johnson. Uh, he has 114 tackles and 80, uh, 26 solo tackles. That's a lot of tackles for him, and, uh, including nine of them being tackles for loss, which is second on the team. And then for sack-wise, you know, they have uh, Russ Woodward with 4.5 and... Jordan Turnbull with 4.5 as well, and they have eight and six hurries, so they definitely get in the quarterback's face. 
as a team, they have 16 total tackle or sacks. Interception-wise, uh, it's Kyle, oh man, Solowitz with three INTs for 85 yards, which is 28.3 yards per, and one fumble recovery as well. Uh, didn't go for any yards. Um, I think really this team, you know, they got some athletes on defense and it shows. Uh, and their box scores show it a lot. Uh, looks like Lutheran was a big loss for them, 46-2. to Green Mountains, 31-16. Uh, they took care of Littleton, 42-8. Lewis Palmer, 53-12. 41-23 over George Washington, 50-6 over Gateway, 50-0 over Sterling, 35-10 Wheat Ridge, and 35-6 Battle Mountain. So I think against the bigger teams that they play, uh, they well, they lost one against Lutheran. Um, and Green Mountain, aren't they in the... Yeah, they're in the playoffs. Yeah, they're in the playoffs as well. So another playoff team they lost there. Um, but other than that, they look like a pretty solid squad, but it looks like they lean on three players on the offense, which isn't a big variety. Uh, and Simon, do you want to go ahead and talk about this Durambo squad? Yeah, let's do it. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the defending champs, the defending fall champs, that is, for the 3A level, and that is the Durango Demons. This year, they definitely lost a lot of players uh, from last year's championship squad, including, you know, Jordan Wolverton. Actually, just saw a picture of him on the CU sideline. He was suited up last night. Uh, ben Finiseth, he is also with CU. Uh, he was in that same picture suited up for CU last night. And so they're losing some guys, you know, but don't get it twisted. They still have a lot of talent, especially their offensive line, one of the best in the entire state, led by Joshua Bates and Walter Stauffer, not related to Cody Stauffer, obviously, but they <laughs> But they have but they have one of the best lines out there and you know a whole ton of athletes and it showed this season when you look at their schedule they went eight and two but their only two losses are to one seeds and so at the time we were probably panicking way more than we needed to um, but you know hindsight is 2020 on September 10th they lost to Montrose 39 to seven obviously. Uh, they're the one seed in 4A. I'm pretty sure they had a first round bye. They'll be playing their first playoff game this week. And then they played a New Mexico team, Farmington, who they lost 38-17. to um, They played them literally right after Montrose. And they're the one seed on the 5A level in New Mexico. They actually won 10-0. and And they'll be playing their first playoff game after having a bye last week. They'll be playing their first playoff game this week. And so those are the only two losses. Other than that, they pretty much dominated everyone. Didn't really find um, any, I guess, anybody to challenge them. And so maybe if you do want to criticize them, it'll be like, oh, maybe they played an easier schedule minus, you know, those two one seed teams because um, they destroyed Pagosa Springs 58 to zero, uh, killed Aztec 54 to zero, uh, beat Piedra Vista, another New Mexico team 48 to seven, beat down Harrison 42 to zero, a 4A team. 
beat Discovery Canyon, the 16th seed of this playoffs, 42-0. to They beat Sierra, 64-0. to uh, Mitchell, by this time, didn't want to play them, and so they didn't want to travel down, and they went ahead and forfeited because they're a Colorado Springs team. Uh, played Sand Creek, the only other solid team here, and just missed the playoffs, actually. Um, Sand Creek finishing 5-5, five and five, by the way. But they beat them 62-0, to zero, and now they have Evergreen this week. This offense is almost... I think they're almost averaging 50 points a game if you really want to average it out. That forfeit kind of hurts the average, not going to lie. So if you don't include that, um, they basically are averaging about 50 points a game defensively. Um, the most they have allowed is obviously 39 and 38 to Montrose and Farmington. Once again, those one seeds. But outside of them, um, dang, outside of those two teams, they've only allowed one touchdown all season. So there you go. Uh, that's that's kind of wild. Not going to lie. <laughs> this defense has played really well. Like I said, maybe not the toughest opponents, but, you know, it still takes a lot to beat teams that badly. And so let me go ahead and talk about the offensive side on the ball. So on offense, they decided to go with their sophomore quarterback instead of going with maybe one of their more experienced athletes. But they go with their sophomore sophomore quarterback Tyler Harms he had you know an okay season as a I don't know I, I would say as a game manager he had 976 passing yards 54 um you know percent completion rating he threw 13 touchdowns through six interceptions so there you go Running the ball, you have a couple different people here, but it is led by their junior running back, Zachary Haber. He had 119 carries for 1,082 rushing yards and 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, right next to him, you have senior running back or athlete, I guess, Nate Messier. He had 72 carries for 531 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns. You also have uh, senior athlete Jordan Stanley, 256 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. And then you have uh, junior Baruch, Bar Baruch, Jarek Baruch, I want to say. I am, I'm probably killing that, but in a bad way. Um, but yeah, 250 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns on the season. So they got a couple guys here who have been productive receiving wise. You know, you have the same kind of names up here. Zachary Aber, he had 17 receptions, 290 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. He led this team in receiving yards. Then you have Jordan Stanley, who led in receiving touchdowns, 12 receptions, 262 receiving yards and five receiving touchdowns. Uh, you also have... I want to say it is Chase Robertson. Yep. Um, the senior. Only three receptions for 41 uh, receiving yards and three receiving touchdowns. But he's definitely somebody to look out for. You know, if they are found in a situation where they need to pass, he, I would say, is probably their number one receiver on the squad. Uh, already talked about this offensive line. It's a big one led by Oklahoma commit Joshua Bates. And then Walter Stauffer as well, the big old 6'6", 6'7", 250 no tackle. Yes, um, obviously. And then on hey, defense, that's supposed to be on defense. Oh on defense, this is a tough defensive team led by linebacker Cole Matava, the six foot, one hundred ninety five pound linebacker, has eighty one total tackles on the year and twelve tackles for losses i think he is a leader um in terms of tackles for losses as well you also have uh, that other uh, athlete that i've been oh my god i'm gonna 
screw up his name Jarek baruch he has 52 total tackles four tackles for losses jordan stanley he's up here as well with 43 total tackles as well and so those are your tackle leaders uh, your sack leader is walter stauffer with six sacks um with for this durango demon squad i want to make sure i have his height right he's actually 66270 now so there you go they got a, another monster over there in uh stauffer and uh yeah you know this is uh i mean that's pretty much it uh this demons team is pretty much stacked they are the defending champs remember they did beat roosevelt think by a touchdown last year and so they're looking to go ahead and defend their title here and they got some ballers on the squad this is a this is a pretty stacked squad if you mind me so with that being said i'm gonna go ahead and give my prediction for this playoff matchup i think it's durango no offense to evergreen but durango they've been buzzsawing pretty much everyone they've played having that experience playing two number one seeds um is something that not a lot of teams have you know, um, but, you know, this is a squad that has proven that they can beat some playoff teams. Discovery Canyon is on this list. And even though they are the 16th seed, they beat them like they were a 16th seed. And so I have a lot of faith in this uh, Durango squad. They also beat Sand Creek, who probably could have replaced Discovery Canyon, if anything. But they beat them 62 to 0. I think this is an obvious one. I'm looking at the defense to play very good. And then offensively, I mean, they're going to give it to their athletes and let them perform. That's what they did last year. That's what they're going to do this year. And uh, that's what I what I see moving forward in the playoffs here. But uh, Mason, do you want to go ahead and uh, give your prediction for this playoff game here? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think Durango's gonna take it. Um, I think that they, you know, just facing Montrose, and then I didn't even realize that that you know team was a five A team that they faced over in what is it, New Mexico? Like, yeah, by Farmington. just playing those teams alone, they're on another level. So I think that they can go ahead and take this one pretty easily, Cody. Yeah, I'm gonna have to also go with the Durango Demons here. No disrespect to this Evergreen squad that I think has a lot going for them. And a lot of these players are juniors, you know. So I think that any experience is good experience in this year and that they will be back, you know. This has been a very long season for them. And so kudos to them for making it this far and for making the playoffs. But I do think that, you know, Durango, they're just really strong and dominant on both sides of the ball. And, you know, I think that this will be... You know, the the result will be the same as their last year regular season game with Durango coming out on top. You know, I expect Evergreen to make a few big plays in this game. But, you know, Durango, I'm going to have to go with the defending champs to make it to the next round as well. So, but I think this next segment, uh, Simon, as if I hope you're not tired of talking because you just know the most on both of these teams in the next round with the Mead Mavericks versus the Northridge Grizzlies. Yeah, sure. So on this next segment, I'm actually going to go ahead and talk about both of these squads here. Number five, Mead. Number 12, by the way, seven and two, Northridge. Um, and so I'm going to talk about both of these two teams here. And then Cody Mason, you could uh, give your opinion when all is said and done. But let me go ahead and talk about Mead. Um, my pick to 
my pick to win state this year. They won seven and two, which isn't bad, you know. Um, they had that bad loss to Roosevelt there though, where they lost thirty-seven to seven. So there's that. Roosevelt also the one seed, and then they lost to Frederick last week. I think uh, their running back went crazy on them, and so they that dropped them to seven and two. They lost forty-five to nineteen to Frederick, who is eight and one right now. And so Mead, you know, first off, they're here for a reason. They have talent that starts with their quarterback Gavin Garrettson. When he's on, he's playing great. Um, for them to make a real run in this playoffs, he's gonna have to do more than he has in the regular season. That's just a fact. If he doesn't. I don't know. Some of these games might be a little bit closer than they need to. But Gavin Garrettson, he did though for 1,221 passing yards, 18 passing touchdowns, only four interceptions. I believe he also has a couple offers as well, just throwing that out there. Um, has a 65% completion rating on the season. Um, but this Mead team, they are definitely more of a running team. And they have a couple guys who could do it, led by their senior running back, Evan Morris, he had 767 rushing yards on the season, 13 rushing touchdowns. And then you have the next guy up here who, in my opinion, uh, could arguably be one of the best running backs in the state despite not having the stats like physically and talent-wise when you look at his film. It's there. You know, he makes big plays when Mead gets him the ball. In my opinion, they didn't get him the ball enough. But that's Corby Teku, their big old 6'2", 220-pound running back. Or sorry, 6'3", 220-pound running back. He went for 275 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns on only 37 carries this year. Then you have Sean Medlock, a junior. He's kind of their speedster for them, um, considering Morris and Teku are both over 210 pounds and are powerbacks. But Medlock, he has 254 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns on the year. And then Gavin Gerritsen, he also has 161 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown on the year. And, you know, Mead, they have a big goal line as well. Can't talk about their own line without talking about their big uh, offensive tackle, Dalton Brown. He's in like the 6'3", 295-pound range, if I am not mistaken. And so they got some dudes up front that kind of clears the way. This is a very physical squad. Um, but, you know, this is a very run-heavy team, but they're going to need to pass more. And efficiently at that if they want to make a solid run in the playoffs. They have a quarterback to do it, in my opinion. Um, but they, they need to help him out a little bit more here. Defensively, as always, Meade is pretty strong. Uh, led by their senior lead tackler, Jeremiah, St oh my gosh, uh, Stritsky. Yep, Stritsky. Um, he is their middle linebacker. He moves around a, a lot, but he's their middle linebacker. He has 65 total tackles on the year, three tackles for losses. You also have junior linebacker Christian Ayers. He has 44 total tackles, two tackles for losses. LM, you have another junior, number 31, uh, Brewington, Danny Brewington, who has 37 total tackles and only one tackle for loss on the year. And so those are your lead tacklers for Meade. Uh, sack leader-wise, it is their senior uh, lineman, Stefan uh, Reipler, I want to say. He plays defensive and defensive end. He has four and a half sacks on the year. And then interception-wise, uh, they don't have a lot of interceptions on the year. Oh, my God. 
Meade does not have a lot of interceptions on the year. They only have four interceptions uh, led by their junior, Brendan Castanon. Yep, Castanon, who has two interceptions on the year. So, yeah, that's Meade. Meade, they run the ball really well. They're physical. They're very physical up front. I think defensively, they're maybe not as good as they have been in past years. But they kind of make up for that, for controlling the ball and, you know, scoring when they get turnovers and scoring when they need to. You know, they have a bunch of different guys who can run the ball and get it done. Um, But like I said, they need to get their passing game in it uh, because they're going to have to lean on their offense kind of a bit here. Now we have Northridge. Uh, Northridge is a team that I talked about and did a film or not a film breakdown on a spotlight episode on (laughs) <laughs> I predicted Northridge to go six and three. Congratulations. They won seven and three. Or um sorry, not six and three. Uh six and four. And then they won seven and three. So congratulations. You won one more game than I thought. But you know, at seven and three, their three losses is to Mead, who they lost to 42 to 0. They had to go to Mead, and that's what happened. Um, then their other big loss here is to Roosevelt, 62 to 19. They lost to Fort Morgan as well in a kind of a close one, 23 to 20. That is probably a game Fort Morgan needs to uh, pull out by a little bit more there. And then last week, you know, they beat Nawat 53 to 7 in hopes that that will give them a better seeding in the playoffs, uh, which I'm sure it did. I mean, they're the 12th seed right now, so uh, so yeah. But they do have to play Mead. And so with that being said, let me go ahead and talk about the key players on the squad, which is a very, very young team. Most of their key players are only juniors with no playoff experience. And so that includes their junior quarterback, uh, Cooper Rose, not Colton Rose, Cooper Rose, who threw for 1,161 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, 7 interceptions on the year. He... um, I, okay, I don't know why Northridge went ahead and put this stat in, but they said they gave him 40 carries and he had negative 21 rushing yards on the year. So make do with what you want with that. Um, but the other guy that they have at quarterback, more of a wildcat quarterback type, is Damon West. He is a junior for this team. Uh, he actually is their one of one of their leading rushers with 643 rushing yards and 10 rushing touchdowns on the year. But let me go ahead and talk about the guy that is kind of the star, uh, the focal point of this offense, and that is a junior running back, the brother of somebody we know, Isaac Ness. He carried the ball 154 times for 1,005 rushing yards and eight rushing touchdowns on the year uh, leading this team. By the way, everyone I've talked about so far are juniors. So, uh, yeah, there you go there. Now, in terms of people who kind of lead this team in receiving yards, so basically all their, all four leading receivers are juniors. And so I'm just going to go down the line here, starting with Jace Reed. He has 346 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns on the year. Then you have Brendan Peterson. He has 299 receiving yards, four touchdowns on the year. You have um, Jaden Marquez, who has 221 
receiving yards and four touchdowns. And then last but not least, probably one of the more underrated guys, Reese Pratt. He is definitely a speedster, someone that you got to look out for, even if he is only you know, fourth on this list, but he has 105 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns on the year. And so they kind of got some depth here. Um, you know, not, like I said, not too bad. Uh, they're definitely young. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, they're pretty young as well. Their lead tackler is a junior, and that is Parker Steckle. He has 80 total tackles and eight tackles for losses on the year. And then you have junior. Um, you have another junior here that we've already talked about, Isaac Ness. He has 49 total tackles and six tackles for losses on the year. And so uh, there you go. As far as, as sacks goes, um, they've only recorded five sacks on the entire season. So, you know, make do what you want there. But as far as interceptions go, they're pretty solid here. Uh, Damon West actually leads uh, with, um, I want to say Jaden Marquez actually, with two interceptions each. And so that is this Northridge team. Um, you know, they're very young. Some days they're good. I've watched Cooper Ro or, uh, yeah, Cooper Rose there. Um, he is an all right quarterback. He has some things he needs to work on there. He has some very good days and then some very bad, bad days there. And so that's uh, that's Northridge. I'm going to go ahead and click on this box score here of this Mead uh, Northridge game just so could kind of give the picture of that. But Mead. You know, against Northridge the first time they met, which I want to say was the fourth game of the season for Mead or for Northridge, but the third game for Mead. Uh, Gavin Garrettson, he threw for 167 passing yards, three touchdowns, only one pick. Uh, on the ground, Evan Morris, he had 64 rushing yards for two rushing touchdowns. Corby Teku on eight carries had 43 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, Brendan Clover... Will Tenor and Sean Medlock each caught a touchdown for this meet offense. Um, the Northridge offense, Cooper Rose, he went three of seven for 40 yards and one interception. Uh, Damon West actually got in there, went one of one for five yards. Um, Damon West running the ball on six carries only had 19 yards. Cooper Rose on five carries had negative 15 yards. Reese Pratt's on one carry, 21 yards. Raul Gallegos, three carries, 13 yards. And then Isaac Ness on 15 carries had 37 yards, averaging only two and a half yards per rush there. And then receiving-wise, not too much to talk about here. So, you know what? I won't. But I think in this first matchup, uh, what was obvious was that Meade had a bigger O-line, just had a bigger line in general than Northridge. And then, you know, this Northridge team, I think they have some talent to beat this Meade team, but they're going to have to play at a very high level to overcome the size difference, which is significant. And so, Cody or Mason, do y'all want to go ahead and make your predictions for this Meade versus Northridge game? Yeah, for sure. I'll go ahead and make mine. Um, I am going to have Northridge taking this one. Uh, I think the fact that Meade doesn't pass as much is my biggest thing. Um, I think Northridge will upset Meade. Um, Cody? That is that is a bold prediction. I see this game probably playing out a lot more like the first time it did, honestly. I know that Meade just had that pretty tough loss to Frederick this last week of the season. But, I mean, Meade is one of the contenders for a reason that we talked about in the preseason. 
and I haven't given up on them yet. And so I think that they're going to handle their business against this Northridge team. Like Simon was talking about, the size and alignment and just the physicality, I think it's just going to be a glaring difference in this game once again. But, you know, shout out to that Northridge team for uh, exceeding expectations by all games. So, you know, I'm taking the Mita Mavericks to win in this round and face Durango in the second round. Where are yeah. you sitting, Simon? Um, you know, it's nothing personal. That's football. That's what we've said about these predictions. And I think Meade blows out Northridge here. Uh, Meade, you know, Corby Teku, Evan Morris, Gerritsen, these are three-year varsity starters. They have playoff experience. Northridge, no, I don't think any of these guys have – I don't think they have playoff experience as starters yet. And this is also the first year that they are starters – and so that's definitely a really big red flag for me. And so I'm going to go ahead and pick Meade winning this one easily to go into this next round and play uh, whoever wins Durango versus Evergreen. So, yeah. But uh, if there is nothing else to add on to this, do you all want to go ahead and talk about Fort Morgan versus Green Mountain? Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and start by talking about this Green Mountain team. Uh, their passer, which they don't pass a lot, uh, Zach Wallace, he has 33 completions for 64 attempts, which is 51% completion. Uh, he has three touchdowns and two INTs, uh, 443 total yards. But where they really shine is probably running the rock. They got a sophomore runner in Noel Bacris. Uh, he has 105 carries for 540 yards. Uh, they do have Dom Sanchez with 63 carries for 4.29, and they both have four touchdowns apiece. Um, after that, they do go ahead, and their leading receiver is Donnie Carney with one touchdown and 124 yards on 10 receptions. And then defensive-wise. Their top tackler with 75 tackles is George Sopay. I don't know, man. Yeah, I, was, I don't know how to say that one. But uh, he does have 40 solo tackles and 75 total tackles. Uh, Sack-wise, Dom Sanchez again with three and seven hurries. And then interception-wise, Anthony D. Garza has four INTs, but on offense, he definitely has seven touchdowns rushing the ball. So he's kind of been their squad this year. Um, looking at their schedule and everything, they haven't really played many teams. Like, they played Monarch and beat them 35-14. Then they lost to Golden 35-14. Uh, Stanley Lake 17-14. Holy Family, they lost 28-6. Pueblo South, they lost 23-21. Lewis Palmer, 25-21 win. They beat Evergreen 31-16. They beat Littleton, as they should, 68-8. Then they beat Conifer, 20-6. I can understand the Golden game. Golden's four, you know, is a 4A team. Uh, Holy Family is also one of our teams that's in the playoffs. 
Um, that was kind of a bad loss with 28-6. And then Pueblo South was a pretty close loss, losing by two points. Um, I'll let Cody go ahead and talk about uh, this next team. I mean, talking about Fort Morgan here, the number three seed in the playoffs, they, they're they the third seed for, the re- for a reason, and that reason is quarterback Briggs Wheatley. I got to see this guy live against the Roosevelt Rough Riders defense in what was Roosevelt's closest game of the year. You know, Roosevelt beat Fort Morgan 14-7, to but man, this game was really back and forth. Fort Morgan is one of the more physical football teams in all of, you know, Colorado, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5A. And, you know, Briggs Wheatley, he does a lot for this team. I mean, he runs the ball really well. He's definitely their best playmaker, both out of the backfield and with his arm. I mean, this year alone, he's accounted for 24 touchdowns with 11 on the ground and 13 through the air. And I think he'd have a lot more if some of his playmakers could come up with some more receptions. You know, in that Roosevelt game, he was probably two or three completions away from performing an upset on the number one team in the state and taking that number one seed for Fort Morgan. And, you know, it it just, you know, they got to be ready for the playoffs. And I think that Green Mountain's a good opportunity to really rev up those engines. They have another guy on offense, senior running back Frank Ortega. He's one of the most versatile playmakers in the state with 521 rushing yards with seven scores. And then another 650 through the air because they like to line him up in the slot. He's an absolute mismatch for most cornerbacks and thus in turn a lot of you know, linebackers, obviously, in this game. They had to roll Tucker Peterson or Keaton Kaiser out to deal with Frank Ortega most of the time. He runs very crisp routes, and the chemistry that these two have is insane. I mean, Ortega just does such a good job of catching, specifically, the back shoulder fades that Briggs throws to Ortega were uncoverable by arguably the best 3A defense in the state. So for that to be witnessed, you know, is a great, you know, testament for what this football team's about and for the two players that want to bring a championship out there to Fort Morgan. I also want to shout out their other receiver. That is Tristan Rivera Marquez, I believe. And so, you know, he is second on the team with 486 yards, but he actually leads the team with 34 receptions. So, you know, he made a couple of good grabs in this game and ultimately you know, the game came down to, you know, he just missed out on a play. So he has a lot to prove since that Roosevelt game, I think, as far as, you know, what kind of receiver he is and what kind of football player that he is. And, you know, he's he's a good football player. He's second on this team with 34 total tackles just behind junior David Keller, who leads the team with 51 and four tackles for loss, which he also leads the team in this team doesn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback as far as converting hurries to sacks, but I know that their hurry stats aren't updated on max preps because they were in Saya's face a lot during that, you know, Roosevelt Fort Morgan game. And they're going to be a tough draw for any team to play here in the future. And also on defense, you know, Frank Ortega, four interceptions. He really is just one of the most versatile playmakers in all of Colorado. Not to mention he also has a fumble recovery for this Fort Morgan team. And so they've been dominant this year and they only have one loss all year. And that is to Roosevelt and all of their other games, you know, they beat, I mean, they beat a two a school in brush 35 to 12, but then they 
just dunk on some of these other 3A teams like Conifer, 42-7, Discovery Canyon, 35-21, Niwot, they scored 52 points that week, Mountain View, 35 points. And so their offense dampened down a lot against this Roosevelt team at home. I know that that was a really tough loss, but man, I think it's made them hungry because then they beat this Northridge team 23-20 the next week. And they were pretty banged up leaving this Roosevelt game. They left a lot on the line and some of the players definitely left without being completely healthy. But I think, you know, a couple of weeks have passed and they should be good to go against this Green Mountain team. And I think that they showed their readiness for the playoffs with a 49-30 win over Holy Family. And, you know, they kind of get to ride a wave. They played their last three games at home. I know that this town of Fort Morgan is excited. They literally packed the stands for this Roosevelt game. There were more people at this Roosevelt-Fort Morgan game in one side of stands than there was at the Aurora Central-Denver-South game in the entire stands, which is nuts. So they get super excited for, you know, this football team. They have one of the better athletic departments, I think, in all of 3A, just in general. And I think that they are going to show what they're all about and that Fort Morgan is a football town come this. It says Sunday, but we're not sure about how that's going to look. I'm going to go ahead and just say my prediction. I think that Fort Morgan probably scores like over 50 points on Green Mountain here and that they suffocate this Green Mountain offense to a very low score. I just I have a lot of faith in this team and the athletes that they have and especially the quarterback Briggs Wheatley who I think has a candidacy as one of the top five quarterbacks in this senior class. Simon, you've heard Mason and I's analysis of these two teams. Who do you got for this game? Yeah, I'm picking for Morgan. (laughs) I think they have one of the top offenses in the state, at least in 3A. And so I think they, um, you know, they put up a lot of points here and get it done against Green Mountain. So, yeah, I'm rolling with Briggs and uh, for Morgan here. Mason? Uh, that's going to be a 3-0 for Fort Morgan. Um, I agree with Cody that Briggs Wheatley is going to probably have five touchdowns himself. Um, I could see them going up by a lot really quick. So I'm not going to say anything more than that. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and move into this next game. Yeah, sounds good. And I'll take the lead on this one. Talking about the number six seed in Frederick High School taking on the 11th seed Pueblo County. Both of these teams ending on a very huge win against league rivals to end their season. But I think that the heart and soul of this offense here in Frederick is definitely their senior running back, number 33. That is going to be Ayers here. He is one of the top running backs in this senior class with 1,108 yards and 22 touchdowns this season but this entire frederick backfield has been eating very well this season you have another junior in number 22 zamudio who has ran for 877 yards and eight scores as well and then you also have a junior running back in number six lakey who almost ran for 600 yards this season and another six scores so between the three of these running backs that's 36 touchdowns in this backfield which has got to be one of the best in this entire state 
And, you know, their quarterback, this isn't a very high passing offense, but he's a very efficient and he feeds off of the success in this backfield. If you can't tell by his eight touchdowns to zero interceptions. And he's one of the more experienced guys on this team. That is senior quarterback Bryce Conover. You know, like I said, not a whole lot of passing attempts with only 66. But when he does pass, he does get it into the end zone and he finds the likes of Purcell here. That is LaFi Purcell, I believe is how you say that. He is, you know, a junior this year and has caught the majority being three touchdowns from Mr. Conover here. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, they get a lot of contributors. It's kind of reflective of their backfield, you know, where they have, you know, five people with 30 plus tackles and then a whole bunch of double digit contributors here. They are led by senior Mr. Mikey Espindola, number 21. He has 49 tackles on the season, including 11 for loss, but he's not the leader of tackles for loss on this team as that belongs to Kamarly Davey. He has 11 tackles for loss as a sophomore for this team. And seven of those are sacks. And overall, this, you know, Frederick team has 20 sacks as a unit. And then Purcell, once again, leads this team in interceptions with three for 79 yards. And on the season, they have forced 12 turnovers as an entire football team. Talking about their schedule, I obviously mentioned that they had a big league win to end their season, but who is that against? That was against the Mead Mavericks here. They won 45 to 19 to end their season, which is just, it's an eye-popping win, you know, against one of the better teams in 3A and something that we hadn't quite seen from this team up to this point, you know. They faced an okay team in Eagle Valley earlier in the season and won 42-16. They lost their second league game to Holy Family in overtime, 42-35, which I'm not going to give them too much flack for. Holy Family, as we've discussed, is a very good team, also a playoff team, and losing to them in overtime. I mean, it's definitely a heartbreaker, but I think it snapped this team into shape as they went on to win their last three games of the year, including you know, scoring over 40 points the last two games of this season. So, you know, I'm very excited to see this Frederick team and, you know, this senior running back put in some work and, you know, the rest of this, this is one of the better backfield committees in the entire state of Colorado, for sure, for this Frederick Warriors team. But Simon, do you want to fill us in on what you do know about this Pueblo County team? Or not Simon, I meant Mason. Do you want You're to fill fired. us in? You're fired. You're okay. done. You're okay. done. <laughs> you know what? You're fired because you're not going to tell us about Pueblo County. Mason is. All right. So for this Pueblo County team, you know, they have, they have their quarterback in Peyton Miller. He's a senior. He has 46 completions for 580 yards, uh, five touchdowns, and six INTs. Ouch. Yeah, that's that's not great. But they do run the ball a lot. They do have their junior running back, uh, Cody Lehner, uh, 162 attempts, 994 yards, uh, 95 is his long, which is a pretty good run, and 10 touchdowns. They also have uh, their quarterback, who is uh, Peyton Miller, has 103 attempts for 617 yards and six scores himself. Uh, they do have number two. 
Garcia, 52 attempts, 221 yards, and six scores himself. So they definitely are a running team. Uh, they they do have one receiver who has 13 receptions for 234 yards and three touchdowns in uh, Corbin Spear. Um, he's their leading receiver, but as I said, they don't really pass that much. And then their defense is a question mark. Um, they don't have any defensive stats on all of Max preps. But going into their schedule, you know, they beat Lejanta, uh, 24-7. Then they lost to Pueblo West, 48-0. Lost to Roosevelt, 49-0. Beat Lamar, 44-0. Beat Harrison, 27 or 21-27. Lost to Pueblo East, 13-7. Beat Canyon City, 39-14. Beat Pueblo Central, 50-7. Beat Pueblo Centennial, 48-3. So they haven't really played a lot of high level opponents and the ones that they did uh they didn't really win but they did play pueblo south to end off the year with a win 13 nothing so that was a pretty solid win for them at the end but they did lose the roosevelt and they did lose the pueblo west and pueblo east so i don't know i'm i think i'm ready to make my you know prediction are you guys okay with that send it all right well just because their defense is such a question mark, and I do think this Frederick squad is very solid. You know, beating Meade isn't a thing to be taken lightly. Uh, so I do think this Frederick team takes it, and I don't think it's going to be close. Simon, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. I, honestly, looking at Frederick's schedule here, they did go 8-1. and one. Honestly, a lot of it were pretty, like... You know, there there weren't many challenges here outside of Holy Family, who they lost to, and then Fred or and then Mead, and so for them to beat Mead the way they did is definitely a statement game. I think they're really deep at running back as well, and so I'm gonna go ahead and beat or um, wow, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, choose Frederick to beat um Pueblo County here in the playoffs I actually think Frederick is one of those teams that could uh make a little run here a lot of teams kind of underestimated them but you know at the beginning of the season I did say they're one of those teams that you gotta look out for that if you're not careful you know they get rolling then yeah I mean you got a squad with a lot of confidence so yeah but uh Cody what about you I'm gonna make this an even 3-0 for Frederick, I have, you know, I've been looking at this running back for the past few weeks, actually, and just a shout out to him that we've kind of had our eyes on him, but he is a dang good back. And, you know, I just have a lot of faith in this Frederick team to protect the football. They have rarely, if ever, turned the football over this year. And I think that playing mistake-free football is how you win in these playoffs. And they are equipped for that. Unlike this Pueblo County team, who, as Mason said, you know, they've committed a lot of turnovers on offense. They've made quite a few mistakes. And mistake-free football beats mistake-ridden football every day of the year. Frederick over Pueblo County to meet Fort Morgan in the second round. That's two consecutive 3-0 picks, right? Yep. Well, let's see if yes. we're going to keep riding that trend as Mason Austin explains Pueblo East to us. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start with just who Pueblo East has played this year. Uh, they did play uh, Palmer Ridge, who they had a bye, didn't they? Did, po- did Palmer yeah, Ridge Palmer have a bye? Yeah, Palmer Ridge has a bye. 
yeah. 4A teams. Yeah, so they are playing a lot of 4A teams here, but they did lose to, you know, Palmer Ridge 49-14, lost to Erie 29-7. They did beat Mesa Ridge 21-18, uh, beat Cheyenne Mountain 27-10, lost to Pueblo West 31-0, beat Pueblo County 13-7, beat Pueblo Central 44-0, beat Pueblo South 20-19, Oh, sorry, they lost 2019. And then they did go ahead and end their season with a win of uh, 21-7 over Canyon City. Uh, statistically, uh, their defense is another question mark. They don't have anybody there, but they do have a freshman quarterback with 31 completions for 321 yards, three touchdowns, and four interceptions. And it looks like their junior quarterback also has four interceptions on 34 attempts for 195 yards. Uh, their freshman having three touchdowns, their junior having one. Um, Zayden Stevens is the freshman quarterback's name. And then as of running the ball, they do have uh, Blake Nerino, Nazario. I think it's Nazario, that sounds right. Yeah, okay. 101 yards, 567 carries, six touchdowns. Um, the number 22, Martinez, has 37 carries, 204 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Receiving-wise, their top receiver is number 18, Michael Flores, uh, with 10 receptions for 179 yards and two touchdowns. So, looking at their schedule, I do, I do think it's kind of an upside that they play a lot of 4A teams. Because, you know, like, they didn't lose bad to a bunch of them. Uh, but I, their defense being a question mark is a huge thing for me. Uh, what do you th- – I'm thinking uh, – I think I'm going to pass it over to Cody for – go ahead and talk about this Palisade team. Yeah, your Palisade Bulldogs, the number seven seed in this playoffs. And they have been, you know, kind of in our spotlight this year. You know, as far as just having some playmakers to keep an eye out for, you know, one of the guys that we are going to be looking at on the defensive side of the ball is number 85 senior and leading tackler for this team. Kevin Sorgren, I believe is how you say it. He has 139 tackles this year and 65 of those of those are solo. And whatever tackles he wasn't a part of, I believe, belonged to Rhett Ward, the junior player, number 25 here, who has 117 tackles. So to have 210-plus tacklers on your team is just absurd. So these guys fly around to the ball. They're definitely sideline-to-sideline kind of players and take great angles when playing defense. And, you know, these same two guys, they also hurried the quarterback. You know, there's five combined hurries between the two of them and four sacks, which makes up about 50% of this team's total sacks. And with them holding it down on the first level and also picking up some interceptions themselves and contributing in the pass game with some pass deflections, it makes jobs easier for the likes of senior Franklin Barks, you know, who has three interceptions this year and two pass deflections. You have Thomas Despain, who has seven pass deflections this year, and Marquez, who have five pass deflections as well. But I think that the real breadwinner of this Palisade team belongs to their offense and especially junior quarterback slash more of wildcat uh kind of quarterback running back martin s or malachi espinosa 
you know, this year, throwing the ball, he could have had a bit more success, you know, throwing two TDs to four interceptions, but it's his playmaking with his legs that has won him playmaker of the week before. He has 1,032 yards, averaging over seven yards per carry for 18 touchdowns, and he doesn't even have the highest per yards average in this entire backfield. You have guys like Rhett Ward, who, you know, averaged 6.8 and 725 yards with six touchdowns. You have, you know, Franklin Barks, who also plays on the offensive side of the ball and has 60 carries for 520 yards. But junior Phelan Salvati has the highest yards per carry with, or, you know, highest yards per carry for over 100 carries with 8.3 yards per carry to the tune of 896 yards and another 11 touchdowns. This backfield has ran for 41 touchdowns this year, which obviously makes him one of the most dangerous rushing attacks in all of football. And, you know, they, they're just, they're so good and they're so athletic in this backfield. And they're a pretty physical backfield. They're not afraid to lower their shoulder and, you know, just really put one right through you. So, you know, kudos to, you know, the athletes that they have on the offensive side of the ball, not to mention, you know, their success on special teams, you know, with a kickoff return for a touchdown from Marquez this year, and, you know, a pretty high average in yards per return anytime they get a chance to, you know, receive the ball. I highly advise Pueblo East not to kick it off inbounds to these Palisade Bulldogs. And Simon, I forget, did you choose a Palisade player for player of the week as well one time? Yeah, it was actually Fallon Savalti week one. Fallon Savalti week one. So you're somewhat familiar with this Palisade team. Who do you have in this seven seed versus 10 seed matchup? I think it's Palisade. I think they just play a very clean game. Don't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I think they're the only team in Colorado with two players with over 100 ta uh, total tackles which is a pretty big deal. So defensively, you know, they're a very good tackling team. That's what that tells me. And then offensively, like you said, they have a bunch of uh, backs here that could go ahead and get it done. They have four backs over 500 yards and five touchdowns on this season, which is pretty insane here. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick Palisade here. Mason or Cody, do y'all want to chime in? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Palisade. I chose Malachi Espinosa as one of my playmakers of the week and just have a lot of faith in his athletic ability as well as just, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that can say that they have multiple backs with over 500 yards and six touchdowns in a season. I mean, that's just absurd. They use a lot of motion in their offense. They're going to keep Pueblo East on their heels. You know, Pueblo East, they are battle-tested. They have beaten some 4A teams, you know, some 4A playoff teams and hung in there. You know, they were one of the closer scores on Erie's entire schedule. So some respect to that. And, you know, I have Erie going to the championships on my 4A level. So, you know, shout out to Pueblo East. But I just can't see Palisade, who, you know, clutched it up in league play really well and, you know, has just very explosive playmaking ability to lose this game to Pueblo East. So Palisade is going to win this. That makes it 2-0. Mason, is it 2-1 or 3-0 for the third consecutive game? I'm going to make it the third consecutive game. I don't see Pueblo East beating Palisade here. I think Palisade has a lot of athletes. And, you know, as we have done on this, all of the ones we've done for 1A through 5A, 
We pick athletes because athletes win football games. All right. So 3-0 Palisade. Simon, do you want to tell us about the underdog in the last game that we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if this team deserved to make the playoffs, but because of their losses to certain teams here, uh, they made it in at 5-4, and four, and that is Discovery Canyon here. 5-4, uh, and four, but let me just go ahead and talk about their schedule before anything. Not that I can talk about their stats because they stopped putting them in after September 16th, but um, which is God. But anyways, um, they beat Lewis Palmer to open up the season 41-20. to 20. I mean, they're not good. They beat Pueblo South without Jace Bella, by the way, for the whole game. They beat them 21 to 13. That was definitely a closer game than they looked. They scored a last-second touchdown at the end when they were already, uh, uh, I don't know. They, they were already leading, I'm pretty sure. So there you go. Uh, they lost to Mead 50 to 7. They lost to Pine Creek 45 to 7. They lost to Fort Morgan 35 to 21. Um, they beat Sand Creek, who's 5 and 5, 52 to 8. They lost to Durango 42 to zero. They lost, or they sorry, they beat Harrison 21 to 14. That TCA actually blew out 44 to zero. So there you go. And then, as they should, they beat Sierra 56 to eight here. Um, look, they're the 16th seed. There were a couple teams looking in. I was looking at some of those teams. Steamboat Springs. They've arguably had you know better quality wins and whatnot. Uh, Glenwood Springs is up there as well. But Discovery Canyon, you know, they went ahead and made it in at five and four here. Uh, I'm going to be honest when I watch them against Mead. And this is what I heard. I have an insider with Discovery. I have multiple insiders with Discovery Canyon, actually, because I have a um, good amount of friends who went there. Um, no one on that team believed that they could beat Mead. That was the attitude in week four, September 9th going against that uh going into that game against me nobody really felt like they could win um everyone was making jokes about it and so that was kind of the attitude throughout that game now that doesn't kind of show you where they're at right now as a program and you know it showed because they lost 50 to 7 this is also the only game where i saw defenders flinching 15 yards away uh from the runner which is corby Teku, who like absolutely terrorized them you know he was making defenders flinch from 15 yards away and making them fall down out of nowhere and so <laughs> without doing a mood move so that's kind of how i see discovery canyon i mean they have a quarterback kind of in uh, trevin alacio um he's a junior they give him they kind of, you know they don't tell him to do too much like nothing too crazy they throw kind of a lot of screens um, they'll try to run the ball, but other than that, uh, in my opinion, I just don't think they really have the athletes here. And they play number one Lutheran in the playoffs. And so, uh, you know, Mason, do you want to talk about Lutheran? I went to that game with you that uh, we where we watched Lutheran absolutely destroy Denver North, which was one of the better teams on their schedule. But do uh, you want to talk about Lutheran here? Yeah, I'll definitely go ahead and talk about Lutheran. Um, I want to start by saying in that Denver North game, yeah, they destroyed them and we left before halftime because they were up by like 40. Um, quarterback situation, their senior, Clayton Jacobs, uh, 93 completions for 165 attempts, 1,746 yards. That's 56% completion percentage, but 23 touchdowns to three INTs. He does not turn the ball over much. 
Uh, their backup, I do want to just go ahead and say he does have a decent amount of playing time. That might be because they blow a lot of people out and he gets in the game. Uh, he does have six touchdowns himself. Well, then on the rushing attack, Clayton Jacobs also has 831 yards, 15 rushing touchdowns. Their next guy, Ryan Kenny, has 662 yards with nine touchdowns himself. And then uh, Dorian Pachenko has 573 yards with 12 touchdowns. That's 41 touchdowns that they have between all of their backs. That is a lot of touchdowns for this, you know, running group. Not to mention that, you know, they spread the ball out a lot. I have one, two, three, four, six, six receivers with all over 100 yards, three of them having five uh, touchdowns each. You know, that's pretty crazy, you know, and then Darian Pacheco has four himself. Uh, uh, number 11, Allen, has 398 yards with five touchdowns. Number seven, Cisco, has 18 receptions, 432 yards, five touchdowns. And number two, Johnson, has 406 yards and five touchdowns. Not to mention that I've watched plenty of film on this offensive line. And I want to say this offensive line has some dogs. I've watched them, you know, pancake after pancake. They don't like to give up sacks. And they like to keep their quarterback, you know, untouched and not touching the turf. Um, but defensively, you know, uh, Pachenko also has 60 total tackles, eight tackles for loss, with uh, three of them being sacks. And then Joshua Ayers is leading with four sacks, but seven hurries. They have 39 hurries and 22 sacks this season, which means they get it done and they get in people's face. Interception-wise, you know, Cisco, uh, Trey Cisco, and Bryce Johnson have two apiece. Um, then uh, number 34, Bond, has four fumble recoveries for 85 yards. That's pretty That's pretty good. They get a, they combine for a lot of turnovers. Um, but then we go into their, like, schedule and everything. They started with Lutheran beating it yeah it was lutheran versus lutheran i think that right. was, was it a missouri team simon yeah sorry yes it was a missouri team uh one of the better ones actually in missouri they finished the season eight and uh eight and two actually so there you go well they beat them 35 14 then they beat denver north which is probably one of their tougher matchups uh 48 14 that's the game we went to Beat Battle Mountain 61-0. Pueblo Central 60-0. Beat Heritage 60-14. Beat Evergreen 46-2. Beat Littleton 49-0. Beat Conifer 55-6. Beat Lewis Palmer 56-16. And then they ended their season beating Green Mountain 58-8. Um... This is a very solid squad. I think their defense and offensive line are very, they're probably one of the best in 3A. Um, their offensive line, like I said, does not like to let their quarterback touch the turf. Like, even when he's running, he still has them around him. So, personally, I'm ready to make my pick. I don't know about you guys. Go I'm going to go it. ahead. I think uh, we're all on the same page, but you can go ahead and say it. Uh, 
I think Lutheran puts on 50 and has their backups in by halftime. Yes. I think this is obvious. I mean, here's the thing. Clayton Jacobs hasn't had to do so much, which probably affects his stats because they're up by so much. And Mason, you and I have seen him play, and I always remember that corner out he threw. Do you remember that, that touchdown throw he made uh, to the corner? And it was a very good defense. He just fitted in between the safety and the cornerback for that touchdown to uh, CCO. I forgot if it was Trey or Joe, but it was one of them. Yeah, no, um, I definitely saw that one. Yeah, um, I remember it because it was probably the cleanest throw I've seen all season. Yeah, one of the uh, best videos hit that we have, corner. Actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, I can't believe we got that on film because he came around, flipped his hips, threw that ball, and God, I, I it's imprinted on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Jacobs is the truth. He is a championship-winning quarterback and arguably the number one quarterback in the state for this class. So you got to give him that credit there. Uh, Ari Jacobs, obviously another guy on that line, like you said, Mason, who, um, I mean, he's probably going to be a top five guy on our list. By the way, Ari Jacobs has 71 pancakes on the season. So make what you want. That's a lot. He's only played what? He's only played 10 games. That's seven pancakes a game. Isn't that that's, wild? Uh, that's why he doesn't like to let his quarterback touch the ground. Yeah. I watched that in his film. I watched all of his film and it was a fun one to watch. Oh yeah. And so, I mean, this is a Lutheran team. Like we said at the beginning of the season, they could definitely contend. And I mean, they've proved it throughout all of the regular season, averaging like 50 points a game offensively. And then defensively, I mean, shoot. I mean, defensively, you have some games here where they've allowed two touchdowns, but I think the most they've ever allowed was uh, 16. Dang. <laughs> 16 to Lewis Palmer two weeks ago. So, yeah, no, it's Lutheran. Uh, there's plenty of reasons why I think they win. Cody, do you have any more reasons to add on to that? Or, I mean, I think that the undefeated record and the point margin speaks for itself. I mean, scoring 60 points three games in a row in the midway point of the season and not scoring below 40 except for their opening game. Wow. And to score over 50, like their offense is just absurd. And that puts their defense in a position to play very aggressively. And a lot of teams just can't handle that level of aggression, you know. Uh, they're just not built for to handle that on the offensive line. But the odd thing is that even though Lutheran hasn't been put in that spot, their offensive line also sounds like it's built to handle an aggressive defense and that their quarterback is poised and that they just have athletes at every position ready to make plays. We talked about them in our preview as one of the contenders here. And they, they should be able to go probably until the semis without uh, a great test. Agreed. Yes. I, oh, should I spoil my bracket right now? No, no. Just okay. tell, just okay. tell them to, to go to our Instagram, Playmakers Corner, at, well, at Playmakers Corner on Instagram, and to uh, go comment their grievances on there just like everyone else is. Yeah. And uh, hey, remember to tag us when... <laughs> When you make your story post too, because we love to see it and we love to, uh, you know, show show everyone, show the state what the vibe is. Uh, at least you know in one part of the state. So, 
um there you go but that'll basically wrap up this 3a playoff preview good luck to all of these teams that are gonna play this week uh there are some good matchups here but i think there will be even better matchups next week so uh yeah but uh that'll wrap up this um this segment all right, what's good, y'all? So uh, just remember, Wednesday, we're going to come out with our normal recap, talking about 1A, 2A, 4A, and 5A playoffs from last week. We'll also talk about players of the week, including the 3A player of the week, on that episode as well. On that episode, I'll also make my picks for um, pretty much every matchup in the playoffs here. I'll also announce the picks of Mason, Cody, and our guy Anthony Garcia from Mile High Prep Report. And then, yes, Friday, our top five seniors list makes a comeback for this year. We're going to go ahead and start with our inside linebackers. So be on the lookout for all of that. Thank you so much for all of the support that, that y'all have shown us throughout this season. And go ahead and show us some love on all of our social medias. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Playmakers Corner. And then if you are on a listening platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, which I assume you are, go ahead and give us a good rating and a good review there. But other than that, uh, we'll see you on Wednesday.